Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody. It's Chris here. It's another episode of Super Theism. And I have uh, Dave Eager here joining me. And this one's going to kind of be a return to form. Kind of a return to why I originally started this call. Original reason, you know, the meaning behind the name. Super theism. It's kind of a, a nod to experimental theology, which is what we will be discussing today. Uh, supra meaning above or like transcendent. And uh, so I listened to your call, Dave, your latest call, as you know, and um, I agreed with a lot of it. And I actually, uh, I had this theory uh, that I wrote out here like a while ago, uh, months ago. And uh, it kind of, it's kind of my theory on, I guess, the quote unquote Godhead kind of the kind of stuff you were talking about on your call. And um, I thought I'd just read it here just to show you, because uh, I told you, you know, um, I kind of was led to these same conclusions that you were talking about. So I kind of want to read this, and then you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. All right? Hello? Dave, are you there? Uh, did I lose sound? Uh, yeah, I couldn't hear you at all. Were you talking? Uh, no, I wasn't, but I got a uh, older pair of, uh, Apple ear pods. I thought they worked. I thought that I could hear, I can hear in one ear, but apparently the mic is not working. Oh, I see. Well, I, I can hear you now, so. Okay, I'm on speakerphone. Let me know if the audio deteriorates because I got these cheaper this cheaper headset and uh, Chuck said that it is, I actually sound better on speakerphone. Okay. Let me know how I sound, okay? Okay. All right. Go ahead. All right. Well, I'm going to start reading this then. So this is this uh, theory that I wrote out a while ago, like months ago. But I called it uh, Emanationist Binatarian, a working uh-huh. name. So I said, uh, I believe and posit the theory that Yahweh is a composite being that is merged with, yet sometimes temporally emanates a second coexistent being who is more than just nominally representative and tentatively, qualitatively equal, although perhaps not in an absolute sense, but possibly in a moral sense and in terms of nature, etc. This has some commonalities with, quote, binatarianism, end quote, but I take some minor issue with that, as traditionally it posits the theory of two coexistent gods. As will be shown, I more believe, based on certain passages, in one being that temporally divides or emanates a second coexistent being that is eventually re-merged again. Hence the theoretical name, emanationist binatarianism. 
So I said uh, this theory also overlaps with the, quote, higher self theory, which I may propose later as generally there's a heavenly or higher counterpart and an earthly or lower counterpart to this person. Okay, I've already talked about that on previous calls. But I said uh, this also has some overlap with the, quote, Deuteronomist narrative that is commonly proposed by scholars in that there is some truth to the contrasting quote, Elohist, and quote, Yahwist narratives, being that I believe that El is the invisible and omnipresent Father who is spirit, as stated in John 4.24, and as contrasted to John 1.18, John 6.46, Colossians 1.15, Hebrews 11.27, and 1 Timothy 1.17, that follow deductively that he has never been seen as being un- invisible and whose visible image and manifest representation is the Son, who is qualitatively limited by taking on form. Okay, so I might have some mi- minor uh, modifications and disagreements with that now, but it doesn't represent my uh, current views, but pretty close. Who the heck well, wrote uh, that? Huh? Who the heck wrote that? I wrote this. I said oh. like months ago. That's why I thought you said it first, but as you went along, it didn't sound like it. So, okay, so that's why you're disagreeing with it a bit, because you it was a little yeah. bit older. Okay. Yeah. But I, I was just saying, the reason I'm reading this is because I was, I was trying to show you how, you know, I was being led to similar conclusions, uh-huh. you know, that you were talking about. But, so I went on, I said, uh, as will be detailed by various passages and proof texts, Yahweh had been seen by various people in the Old Testament. Not only that, but his visage is identical with that described of the Son or Christ in Revelation. Uh, I reconcile this with the theory that the Son is Yahweh, who is the image or manifest form of the invisible Father, thus functioning doubly as a, quote, lower Father, or a heavenly or earthly Son, and who is a single composite being that can temporally divide into two distinct yet coexistent and, quote, co-equal persons that of a heavenly and an earthly counterpart. So basically this is like by location, like you see in uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah passage, a heavenly Adam bilocating on earth as well. Mm-hmm. This is why Christ identifies himself with the quote, I am appellation designated by the name Yahweh in John 5:58 through 59 and Exodus 3:15. I believe this explains the appellation, quote, the ancient of days, End quote. That the consensus is in agreement among scholars refers to Yahweh in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, and also conforms to the description of the Christ or Son in Revelation 1, 12 through 20. And also the messianic title, quote, Son of Man, end quote, used interchangeably in reference to Christ, the Son, or Adam, Luke 3, 38, being that Yahweh, as the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1, 15, was the first man, albeit a heavenly one, with a celestial body. Exodus 15, 3, 24:9 9 through 10, 33, 17 through 23, Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28, Daniel 7, 9 through 10, etc. As the Elohim, or sons of God, or angels, are described consistently throughout the Bible as heavenly, quote, men. See passages below. He is the Father Time figure on the throne, and his depiction in Daniel and Revelation reflects age. So, I go on. 
says, uh, quote, 25 years ago, rabbinical scholar Alan Segal produced what is still the major work on the idea of two powers in heaven and Jewish thought. Segal argued that the two powers idea was not deemed heretical in Jewish theology until the second century CE. He carefully traced the roots of the teaching back into the Second Temple era, circa 200 B.C. Segal was able to establish that the idea's antecedents were in the Hebrew Bible, specifically passages like Daniel 7-9, Exodus 23-20-23, and Exodus 15-3. However, he was unable to discern any coherent religious framework from which these passages and others were conceptually derived. Persian dualism was unacceptable as an explanation, since neither of the two powers in heaven were evil. Seagal speculated that the divine warrior imagery of the broader ancient Near East likely had some relationship. In my dissertation, I argued that Seagal's instincts were correct. My own work bridges the gap between his book and the Hebrew Bible understood in its Canaanite religious context. I suggest that the, quote, original model... For the two powers idea was the role of the vice regent of the divine council, the paradigm of a high sovereign god or El who rules heaven and earth through the agency of a second appointed god, Baal, became part of Israelite religion, albeit with some modification. For the Orthodox Israelite, Israelite Yahweh was both sovereign and vice regent, occupying both slots, as it were, at the head of the divine council. The binatarian portrayal of Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible was motivated by this belief. The ancient Israelite knew two Yahwehs, one invisible, a spirit, the other visible, often in human form. The two Yahwehs at times appear together in the text, at times being distinguished, at other times not. Early Judaism understood this portrayal and its rationale. There was no sense of a violation of monotheism since either figure was indeed Yahweh. There was no second distinct God running the affairs of the cosmos. During the Second Temple period, Jewish theologians and writers speculated on, on an identity for the second Yahweh. Guesses ranged from divinized humans from the stories of the Hebrew Bible to exalted angels. These speculations were not considered unorthodox. That acceptance changed when certain Jews, the early Christians, connected Jesus with this orthodox Jewish idea. This explains why these Jews, the first converts to following Jesus the Christ, could simultaneously worship the God of Israel and Jesus, and yet refuse to acknowledge any other God. Jesus was the incarnate second Yahweh. In response, as Seagal's work demonstrated, Judaism pronounced the two powers teaching a heresy sometime in the second century A.D. That was a quote from Michael Heiser um, from twopowersinheaven.com. You still there? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, I'm going to continue. So, oh, hold on. Okay, so then I said, uh, proof text, evidences of Yahweh's dual character of a heavenly and earthly counterpart, or now, what I'd now say, by location. Uh, this one requires some explanation and a focus on the entire context and narrative of the preceding events of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Quote, and Yahweh rained sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh out of the heavens, Genesis 19.24. Now, this verse posits the idea that there was a lower earthly Yahweh that rained down fire from a heavenly counterpart in heaven. Hold on, I'm turning the page. 
Okay. To demonstrate this, we have to focus on the entire passage preceding as well as the chapter preceding that. So starting at verse uh, 14. And Yahweh appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, while he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. This is Abraham. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and saw three men standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, Yahweh, if I have now found favor in your eyes, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And let me bring a piece of bread, and refresh your hearts, and then go on. For this is why you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. So Abraham ran into the tent to Sarah and said, Hurry, make ready three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, See, in the tent. And he said, I shall certainly return to you according to the time of life. So one of the men speaking, obviously, is identified with Yahweh there. And see, Sarah, your wife, is to have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah was past the way of women. And Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my master being old too? And Yahweh said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I truly have a child, since I am old? Is any matter too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I am going to return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah is to have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And the men rose up from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them away. And Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham is certainly going to become a great and mighty nation? and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, so that he commands his children and his household after him to guard the way of Yahweh, to do righteousness and right ruling, so that Yahweh brings to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And Yahweh said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Amorah is great, and because their sin is very heavy, I am, go I am going down now to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I know. So the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Yahweh still stood before Abraham. And Abraham drew near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wrong? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to act in this way, to slay the righteous with the wrong, so that the righteous should be as the wrong. Far be it from you. Does the judge of all the earth not do right? And Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I shall spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Look, please, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to Yahweh. Suppose there are five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty-five, I do not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there are found forty. And he said, I would not do it for the sake of forty. And he said, Let not Yahweh be displeased, and let me speak. Suppose there are found thirty. And he said, I would not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Look, please, I have taken upon myself to speak to Yahweh. Suppose there are found twenty. And he said, I would not destroy it for the sake of twenty. 
And he said, Let not Yahweh be displeased, and let me speak only this time. Suppose there are found ten. And he said, I would not destroy it for the sake of ten. Then Yahweh went away as soon as he had ended speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. End quote. That was Genesis 18. So, I said, uh, in Genesis 18, 1 through 3, we see that three men appeared to Abraham sitting under the terebinth tree to announce to him the appending judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you pay close attention, one of them was or is Yahweh. Um, well, let's see. They're heavenly men. Yeah. Uh... Okay, so then I uh, I said, uh, we next see that during the course of events, the two messengers urge Lot and his family the following morning to depart, and they begin to flee Sodom. So these are the two men that left, you know, before Yahweh left, to go to Sodom. But he urged them strongly, and they turned into him and came into his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every part, surrounded the house. So they called, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us and let us know them. Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not do evil. Look, please, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them as you wish but only do no deed to these men, because they have come under the shadow of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This one came in to sojourn, and should he always judge? Now we are going to treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands, and pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, and they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, the son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place? For we are going to destroy this place, because the cry against them has grown great before the face of Yahweh, and Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh is going to destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be as one joking. And when morning dawned, the messengers urged Lot to hurry, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he loitered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, Yahweh being compassionate on him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And it came to be, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh no, Yahweh, look please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have increased your kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I am unable to escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Look please, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not a small matter, and let my life be saved? And he said to him, Look, I have favored you concerning this matter also, without overthrowing this city for which you have spoken. 
hurry, escape there, for I am not able to do any deed until you arrive there. So the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. And Yahweh rained sulfur and fire on Sodom and Amorah from Yahweh out of the heavens. End quote. So I said, uh, if you look closely, we see that sometime after his departure towards the mountains outside the city, the man Yahweh, who appeared to him earlier in Genesis 18, finally rejoins them. And he's the one who uh, destroyed the city from the Yahweh in heaven. Um, okay. And then I said, uh, proof text of anthropomorphic Yahweh having a limited body and or form and being seen. Quote, and they heard the sound of Yahweh Elohim walking about in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. And Yahweh Elohim called unto Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Mm-hmm. Yahweh was walking around with Adam and Eve in what appears to be a physical form that is spatially present to which they thought they could hide themselves from. Quote, And Moshe, or Moses, went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel, and under his feet, like a paved work of sapphire stone, and like the heavens for brightness. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the chiefs of the children of Israel. And they saw Elohim, and they ate and drank. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Clearly has Moses and the elders of Israel seeing the God of Israel in a physical body or form that is limited spatially and temporally. Now notice, this already contradicts John 1.18. Quote, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 6.46 Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 1 Timothy 3.17 Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.16 He alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him, nor can anyone see him. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Um, I said, uh, more proof texts of Yahweh being seen and having the form of a man in conflict with passages of the New Testament. And Yahweh said to Moses, even this word you have spoken I shall do, for you have found favor in my eyes, and I know you by name. Then he said, please show me your esteem. And he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, and I shall proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I shall favor him whom I favor, and shall have compassion on him whom I have compassion. But he said, You are unable to see my face, for no man does see me and live. And Yahweh said, See, there is a place with me, and you shall stand on the rock. And it shall be, while my esteem passes by, that I shall put you in the cleft of the rock, and cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I shall take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Exodus thirty-three seventeen through 23. In the year that sovereign Uzziah died, I saw Yahweh sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled 
the heckle, or the, 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 the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Set apart, set apart, set apart as Yahweh of hosts. All the earth is filled with his esteem. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the sovereign, Yahweh of hosts. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Then he said, Therefore hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of the heavens standing by him, on his right and on his left. And Yahweh said, Who shall entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And this one said this, and another said that. And a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said, Let me entice him. And Yahweh said to him, In what way? And he said, I shall go out and be a spirit of falsehood in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Entice him, and also prevail. Go out and do so. And now see, Yahweh has put a spirit of falsehood in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and Yahweh has spoken evil concerning you. It's from 1 Kings 22:19 through 23, with the same account being repeated in 2 Chronicles 18:18 through 22. And then, uh, and above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like a sapphire stone. And on the likeness of the throne was a likeness as the appearance of a man, high above it. And from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw what looked like glowing metal with the, appearances, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw what looked like fire and brightness all around. As the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the esteem of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Ezekiel 1, through 28. So I asked, how to reconcile with the aforementioned passages in the New Testament? I reconcile them by affirming the truth of the universal, invisible, formless, transcendent, yet everywhere present and unapproachable Father spoken of in the New Testament, in a sense platonic but also that he assumes or takes on a form that is by default or ipso facto limited to a particular spatio-temporal location, such as on his throne in heaven, and thus to an extent qualitatively as well. A form is inferior to formlessness, and a body cannot be everywhere at once. This is the Son, Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Christ, or Adam. The theory is that this is how the Father manifests in creation, one could think of him as a lower father, in a heavenly or celestial body in the form of a man, a.k.a. the Son, who is the manifest image of the invisible Father, and the firstborn of all creation, as it says in Colossians 1.15. Thus Yahweh was the, quote, firstborn of all creation, end quote. So this is my belief at the time, well, a long time ago when I wrote this. The first Elohim or heavenly man, which explains his other appellations, the Ancient of Days, which has to do with temporality, and the Alpha and Omega, or first and the last. What do you think so far? About specifically what? That was a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> Any of it. Um, well, what you're looking at there is you're you're looking at an ambassador. Um, let me see here. I have some notes here. <laughs> It's important to have uh, these different concepts. First, they they represent um, 
the Father. Uh, they bear his name. They are mouthpieces of him. They can speak independently of him, but uh, other times they have to speak uh, what they're told ordered to speak. Uh, another thing that's important is that there's actually a collective Yahweh. I've never said this before. That doesn't work with certain passages, though, what you just said. No. Which all, no, it doesn't. Uh, I, I got them here. I'll, I'll read them after. You go on. I said there's a collective Yahweh. That's when they're going to work sometimes, too. And people say, well, how are you going to pull that out of the hat? Well, you just said that um, you believe that, um, that Christ is Yahweh, right? The Son of God? Uh, in some instances, yeah. I think yeah. Well, because you, you see that actually in Proverbs 8, because the creator there in Proverbs 8 is Yahweh. Uh-huh. He's the one doing the creating. And, uh, you know, it, it says that the Lady Wisdom figure emerged out of him and was dancing before him while he was doing the creating, and then it talks about the sons of Adam, you know, the celestial Adam. Uh-huh. So you you would infer there that, uh, well, based on other passages, you know, they're called the sons of God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that Adam there would, that'd be the same figure as that Yahweh doing the creating. That's the heavenly Adam. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. An example of a collective Yahweh would be, um, we've already talked about how there's um, the seven angels bear the name of Yahweh. It would be difficult yeah. to prove wrong. But anyway, you know, you see that messianic stone there in the book of uh, Zechariah where it has seven facets. Right? Yeah, it also talks about, there's another passage where it talks about the seven eyes of Yahweh that roam the earth. Yeah, it's talking, that's somewhat yeah. the same thing. Those are the seven uh Angels, yeah. or you can call them seven brothers. That's based on the fact that there's seven sisters. But anyway, um, you can see there that it, I mean it's it's a one thing. It's it, but it's a collective thing. But it has to do with the Son of God. But sure. they, these other seven are so closely identified with Him that it it it, it can be one single thing. You see right. that? Yeah. Now there you've got eight unified that you could justify calling Yahweh, in, 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 at least in some limited sense for some of them, they work and function as a whole. Yeah. And I, I think agree. as humans, we're in, in, in this life, um, you know, as a general rule, when you look at things, they appear, everything appears to be single objects that are disconnected. But when you look behind the scenes, I believe that everything is connected on some level. You see? Yeah. So we yeah. always struggle with this concept. For instance, um, and uh, they don't have a theology of emanation in Christianity. So when you think of emanation theology, you're going to use different terminology, for instance, like the term extension. These entities are actually extensions of the Father and or the Son. You see that? Yep. yep. And so and people, when you hear that for the first time, they're going, what? It sounds kind of new agey. You know, no, no, no. We have to do this because um, they de-emphasize the linkage. The only linkage they emphasize in Christianity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, they're all. But after that, everything drops off. They don't really have. Yeah. You know, look at the, look at how, how pathetic the theology of the seven angels is. They've had um, you know one to two thousand years to do something about this, and they're not even um, engaged at the present moment. They're not doing anything. You know what I mean? I mean, as a community, you have individuals here and there who are talking about things that are, you know, out of the box, but nobody gets together and does anything, you know. <clears throat> so, 
I was going to say, I think they created a false dichotomy between, like, Platonism or Neoplatonism and quote-unquote Christianity. Uh-huh. You know, they created a, a dialectic there. Uh-huh. I think the truth is in the middle, you know, of those. One, one term that I created over the years, because uh, I wasn't happy with the term uh, bonitarianism, but that has to do with the Father and the Son, but I created a term called oneness bonitarianism. Yeah, that's okay. more or less the same thing that I'm talking about here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you um, do, do you see any place in the in Scripture where the Father is clearly represented? Well, you're confident that the Father is represented in a heavenly throne room scene. Well, see, that's the thing here now. Uh, see, I've kind of struggled between either that view or the the view that that I'm espousing here. You know, months ago that. You know, the, the one on the throne is just the, is actually the heavenly son. You know, it's just with a heavenly body, and that the father doesn't manifest in creation at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's what you, that seems to be the view that you espoused in your podcast. I mean, that's, I, I think I'd have to agree, I, I think I'd have to agree with that. I don't really see anywhere in scripture where, you know, I mean, especially based on those New Testament passages, um, I don't really see anywhere where uh, you can draw that out, that the Father, you know, has any kind of form. or I mean, his form is the Son. That's the point. I mean, yeah. yeah. We, that, uh, is his, that is his form. I he, doesn't have firm, a, he doesn't have a form outside of that in the creation. Yeah, I reached a firm conclusion on that. He doesn't have a body. Yeah. No, he's formless, yeah. He's, Which he's, is above, he's, above the, he's above and outside the creation. I agree with you on that. He's in the supernal realm. You know, the supernal light realm. And that's what Christians uh, believe. Uh, they start to feel uncomfortable if you, if you say that the Father even has a form. See, I used to believe that Philippians chapter 2 was talking about the form of the Father. Uh, yeah. But, but it wasn't. It was talking about the form of this uh, upper sun. Right. So that's what I call it. And then uh, he took upon the the form of a servant, which is obviously the form of a man. It uses the word form twice in the Greek. Right. And right. clearly a change in nature, well, excuse me, it's talking about, well, in nature, a qualified sense, because he's taking on a human form, and that's right. going to affect your nature, because it's a human nature. Right. But um, nature does change, but it's primarily, it's not like he's, um, I don't know, I mean, he obviously is inferior, because yep. it says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Right. You know? Right, but I think that um, you know Yeshua, whatever you want to call him, he was kind of an emanation out of the uh, the upper sun, the celestial Adam. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And when with he that. was, uh, there was a temptation to say that they were blended together, possibly at his baptism. But uh, yeah. my understanding, it was more he was empowered. It was more of an overshadowing. But the uh, the upper sun, as far as I know, he doesn't leave his throne or heaven. Uh, that's not to say that he couldn't come down here. But well, I, pro- that's, see, that's what I'm. That's what I'll, I'll get to later. I, I think he does. Well, he does. In of, in the, he does in the form of bilocation. He bilocates. Well, he's going to rule on Earth. They just say it hasn't happened yet. So. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, I think there's like we'll, we'll get to later some of these passages with the Malik Yahweh or the Angel of Yahweh. I think referred to. Uh, him coming down here by locating. I just want to say for people listening that 
what this is is what I refer well, I mean, to. Plus, the... hold on. Plus, I mean, that would okay. that would be the that would be the Sodom and Gomorrah passage we just talked about. I mean, that'd be an instance of that. Uh huh. I just want to say for people oh. listening, this is what's called experimental or exploratory theology, and we don't have a certain <laughs> trying to recover things that have been lost, and you're you're going to make errors. So people have to go easy on us, and what they need to do is you know give us credit for having some uh, theological risk here because yeah. the, the theologians, they're not going to do it. They've had a long time to do it, and they have not done it. So don't yeah. expect them to do it. So we need to be encouraged and, and supported in taking risk, and we're going to be wrong. I, I'm just sitting here changing my theology as you're talking. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, this was an older view, so I, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> Are you saying? Well, actually, it just stimulates my mind. Yeah. And, uh, um, I don't think that uh, the I'm celestial, more in line with your view now. I don't progress. think the celestial Adam is blended in with the Father until the end of creation. I've never even thought about this before. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, because he's um, called the first and the last. He's the last thing to be merged back. He's the yeah. first thing. To, he's the first thing to be emerged, and the last thing to be re-emerged. Yes, everything goes back into him. It's like an unfolding, and yeah, then, he's, uh, he's the medium. Through you know, he's the medium for all creation. Everything flows through him, and yeah, back back through him. Yeah, it's the opposite of how it all began. See, this, it, when they yeah. created this Nihilo doctrine, and people don't realize they were covering up a lot of things. They were covering yeah. up the fact that the Son emerged out of the Father and everything else emerged out of Him. This is why He's called the beginning of creation, and the Christians have never, Orthodox Christians have never had a proper answer for that. Yeah, yeah. They will not allow Him to have a true beginning. It's just talking about His celestial body. That's You don't have to freak out. Right. But they, they right. won't even allow that, and they, they have to de-emphasize the fact that He has a celestial body that's similar to an angel. Yeah. It's undeveloped theology. They've got lots of areas where there's no development. I know what their weaknesses are, so they haven't done their homework. Well, yeah, I mean, this just from you you talk, mentioning that, right? This would prove this. I mean, it, he would have to be called Yahweh then, in a lot of passages, because all these yeah. passages in the Old Testament where the prophets saw him sitting on a throne, well, that they called him Yahweh. Well, that's the heavenly son. Well, if he Adam. proceeds out of him and then uh, is is blended back into him at some point, then it, he's justified being called Yahweh. If he's the first one oh, yeah. and last one to do that, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is the, he's the name. He's the name of the Father. You know, he's. I mean, <laughs> another thing too, all humanity is linked with the Son of God. Yeah, you know, Celeste, Adam, or even uh, well. And uh, people don't people understand that. It's just like the, the, the body of Christ, and then you've got the spirit of Christ, and then I've got, they talk about the Holy Spirit, where all the Elohim are linked. You have the Antichrist spirit, where all the dark Elohim are linked. Everything is linked. Yep. And then if you, if you start thinking along the lines of, of traditionism, uh, yep. you can theorize that there's this Adamic super soul, and all the yeah, souls come a, up. There's, that, there's, that's there's the type of what goes on in heaven. Yeah, there's an over-soul, her original soul, yeah, that contained all the souls within it. Yeah. You can uh, see that... That would be Adam's soul, right. Then you can see that Eve was contained within Adam. Yep. And and then you can see uh, other things. For instance, like it talks about um, 
you know, Abraham's descendants were were, were within his loins. Right. But I, right. that has to do with uh, etheric linkage, too, not only, but uh, it, the Christians just don't get this because everything is um, it's kind of like modern belief system. Everything is an individual thing. You know, oh, I know. They <laughs> yeah. They took it all away. Cause that, yeah. You're going to lose a lot if you don't understand the linkage yeah. factor. They don't understand it. So... Yeah, well, I was going to say one point of disagreement I'd have with this view now and be and would be in agreement with your view that you espouse on your podcast is uh, in this, I thought that uh, El Elyon or the father and the son were distinct. So I thought the father was El Elyon or El, and then the son was Yahweh, and they were distinct beings. Yeah. So, yeah, I would obviously disagree with that now. I think that I would agree with you. I think that... Uh, El Elyon or El, you know, in the Old Testament, those are, I mean, that's Yahweh, you know. And that would explain how it says we were created, or man, the man, it uses the specifically the word Zakar in the Hebrew relating to the masculine image. The man was made in the image of Elohim. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he was made in the image of the heavenly Adam. And then the woman emerged out of him secondarily, just like how it happened in heaven is reflected on earth. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe that the, 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 male and fe- the male and female, I think, uh, that even though they're counterbalances, I don't think they're co-equal. Uh-huh. I think the woman is an inferior manifestation of the man. She emerged out of the man, so the man is ontologically superior, which, I mean, Paul's pretty explicit on that when he exposits, you know, that verse in Corinthians when he says, you know, the man is the image in the form of... God and the woman is the image of man. Well, here's here's a rule that everybody can take take to the bank. We need to sync this uh, male female equality thing. The emanation can help you do that. If you just get to the point where you understand emanation, everything yeah. that emerges out of something is always inferior. It's never equal. Exactly. You see that? Right. And the, ma- the man, the masculine, preceded everything. You know, the father preceded. Dare I say, the mother? You know, the son preceded the the daughter. No. So Christians, I mean, they're hearing this for the first time. But what happened with Eve coming out of Adam is a type of what happened with Lady Wisdom yep. coming out of the celestial Adam in Proverbs eight. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you now. I don't. I think that the Deuteronomist thing, because I kind of assumed that in this theory that I wrote a while ago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think get that. At all? Huh? Did, did Margaret Barker influence you at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Well, I think well, that I was she's. Say, I was gonna say I, I'm in agreement with you now, and I think I would reject that because um, I really think that that's that theory is just a buttress, you know, this kind of evolutionary, gradual development of the Hebrew religion, which these all the scholars believe. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of debut, it's kind of debutress evolutionism. That's basically what it is. They're trying to claim that, oh, Hebrew religion was just this gradual cultural development. You know, it wasn't divine revelation. You know, I mean, that's what I think that's doing there. But uh, I mean, there, well, I mean, there's there's passages explicitly, like in the Psalms, where Yahweh is explicitly called the Most High, El Elyon. Like there's multiple passages, you know. Uh-huh. 
I, I really uh, like Margaret Barker. I, I hold her in self-esteem. One of the reasons oh, yeah. is one of the few people that can actually think out of the box, and she um, may actually be the greatest female theologian, if you, if you call her theologian, period. Oh, yeah. I would Ever. totally agree. And yeah. I was just thinking the other day, um, you know, sometimes when these people pass away, uh, you, it's just like you don't appreciate until they're gone, you know. And I go, wow, I'm, I'm just, this is fantastic that she's still alive and, you know, in reasonable good health. But here's something that you need to understand is that you can look at the history of uh, the, the Deuteronomist theory. That yeah. is pure liberalism. Now, when you look oh, at I her know. education. Oh, I know. I have looked into it, yeah. liberal education. She had a liberal yep. education, but she doesn't have that mindset, but she retains these things. And yeah. she wrote a book, which I have, based on the Deuteronomist theory. It was an expensive book. Yep. And she, she's pretty much committed to that. But all you have to do is look at the history of that doctrine. It, it's pure liberalism. Evangelicals, yep. they won't touch it. So yeah, I know. I know, yeah. It's, error. It, it's an unnatural emphasis. It's not the way that all this happened. Uh, so, But there's, now it's no. interesting. Because there's truths there, you know, in the De- Deuteronomist theory, because there was changes. Yeah, I agree, uh, they yeah, I agree radical, with that. Yeah. They weren't as radical yeah. as they claim, but they won't even investigate. Right. Again, you close minds, so there you go. All right, there's no mental position. Uh, well, there's too, she allows too much uh, tampering. Uh, there's too much. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't believe that happened. Yeah, I agree. I agree, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what's neat about this whole thing, or I mean, not neat, but I mean, it's possible it could have happened. Um, and but then God corrected it and even restored the text. And we don't we don't know that this happened. We don't know. I'm assuming this didn't happen. It could have happened temporarily, and it was corrected by possibly King Hosea. You see? Yeah, but, uh, possibly. But I don't think it, it was that. Um, it got that bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, I don't either. No. I was going to say, uh, there is one, that passage in Deuteronomy 32, or 32 that's still, mm-hmm. I still wonder if there's a distinction there between Elion and, and Yahweh there, because it, it's it's always just seemed like an awkward reading to me for uh-huh. Elion to be the one distributing, and then he, like Yahweh, distri- he distributes an allotted portion to himself. It just always it didn't seem like a natural reading of that verse. You know what I mean? Because it says Yahweh's allotted portion was Israel, almost as if you know he's the one who received that from somebody else doing the allotting. You know what I mean? Well, you know something. Um... So I wonder there if Elion is the father there, and it, he is distinct from Yahweh the Son, the heavenly Adam receiving Israel. I mean, I don't know. You know, something, here's something that will shake you up. Unless unless Jesus is referring to the celestial Adam as, as his father, now the reason he would do that is because he emanated out of him. I, I don't hold to yeah. that position. But, setting that aside, you have to consider the possibility that this God or, you know, El or Elohim that's referred to through all through the Hebrew Scriptures is actually the celestial Adam and not the, the father proper. Right, right. I mean, that's radically different right there. Now, we're talking about God. He's God, you see. Well, I know, but that's, I would agree with that generally, but that one verse, like I said. Holy God, the the God that we know, the God we deal with. Yeah. Well, like I said, I would agree with that, 
except for that one passage I'm unsure of. Well, um, that could be a different uh, Yahweh there, see. Well, yeah, well, I don't think, I think that, no, because I think that the God, I think that the, I think that Israel's God was the Son. I think that the Son received um, Israel as his portion. I think that that's his nation. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at this passage. I got I got to look. What what verse is that again? Deuteronomy 32:8, I I believe starts there. Yeah. It's too bad that I don't have a readily available Septuagint version because uh I prefer the Septuagint, but I don't actually look at it very much. Um you know, off the cuff or something like that cuz it's not that convenient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, so what is, what is the Hebrew there for most high? Is it L or L L Eon? It's, uh, hold on. I have to, well, hold on. Let me turn to it. I got a Bible with Hebrew uh, names in it here. Uh, yeah, I've I, I run a determination here. The most high God is the celestial Adam. I know that sounds strange. No, I know, I agree. Yeah, it's El, it's El Elyon, because it's got the definite article in front. Okay, now, why can't uh, Yahweh uh, be the same? No, I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying it's an awkward... To me, it's just, it seems like an awkward reading, you know? Like, he distributed the allotted portion to himself. I don't know, it just it, it reads weird. I'm Sometimes, not saying it can't. I'm not just saying it can't be that. I'm, I'm saying I don't know. You know, you know, it's what I do that um, the translated committees uh, they don't understand all these things, and it can affect how they translate. Well, because it says in verse nine, for the portion of Yahweh is His people, Jacob uh -huh. is allotted inheritance. So. Wouldn't that kind of presuppose that somebody had to allot that to him? I don't know. That just seems an odd word to use. His allotted, wouldn't it be like his taken inheritance? Or I don't know. Seems like a more uh, suggests like a more passive, like receptive. You know what I mean? So Jacob I don't know. is. I mean, is a term for uh, Israel. Yeah. 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 Uh -uh. Yeah, I'm not making a big thing out of that. I'm just saying okay. that verse, that passage, still, still unclear on that. So now, there, you can see that um, you have all these different hierarchical categories of sons of God. In some contexts, there's one son of God. Yeah. In another context, I think there's two of them. Then there can be, well, you got the inner family, and it just goes right on down from there, all these different levels. It's amazing. I've talked about it on the show. Sometimes it's, it's you can use, be refer only to the kings, the Vedic kings, you know? Yep, yep. And um, sometimes it's only the remnant. Actually, sometimes, I believe all the, 
from Barker's work, uh, she says that all the Davidic kings were referred to as sons of Yahweh, or as a son, all the t- times that sons of God is used, it's referring to like heavenly beings. Uh-huh. Well, a lot of her, I, I congratulate her on this, a lot of her theology is kind of speculative, um, but the evidence for that is it, it, kind of thin, don't you think? I don't think there's no evidence. I don't know, I'd have, to, I'd have to read her. She seemed like she had good evidence supporting that. She may be drawing from something outside of Scripture. You'd have to look at her notes. If she's got stuff in her notes, you don't read the notes. you got all these notes. And if you don't read them all, the scholars want you to read them. Uh-huh. And you'd have to look at all of her notes and see if she's got something there that I missed. But just based on the text, I think you have to read into the text to come up with that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There also may be confusing because I believe there's a secret about David. And she may have taken that and transferred to the other ones. Uh-huh. He was on a different level qualitatively. Uh-huh. So, I don't know what you think about that. But, uh, <clears throat> I agree. Well, so I went on here. I said, a uh, proof text of Yahweh's dual character or being in two places at once by location uh, on earth and in heaven at the same time. I said, uh, this is inclusive of the enig- enigmatic character known as the messenger of Yahweh, or the Malek Yahweh in the Old Testament, who at more than one occasion is equated more than in just a nominal sense, or interchanged with Yahweh himself. So what I mean there is, uh, so there's, there's things called nominal numerics and cardinal numerics, like a nominal identification or a cardinal identification. Uh-huh. What that means is like a nominal just means you're you're identified with something in a representative way. Like if I'm wearing like a shirt with like the number three on it, mm-hmm. it just means I represent the number three. But it doesn't mean I am the number three or it doesn't mean I'm three persons. Yeah, I that? would say that's important. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it, uh, because, a, a cardinal identification would be you're actually that being. You know, it's the I same actually, entity. I don't feel comfortable, feel comfortable uh, talking, referring to any entity outside the Father and the Son. Uh, remember, the Son inherits from the Father. He inherits everything. So that's why yeah. he would be called just based on that. But I don't feel comfortable calling anyone outside of those two Yahweh, despite the fact that they may bear the name, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Definitely agree with you on that. Because <laughs> that's not their name. They're just bearing the name. And right. He, uh, but that is legitimately the Son of God's name. Um, he has a lot of yeah. names. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's see. Okay, so I start with the verses. I said, uh, and Moshe, or Moses, was shepherding the flock of uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of Elohim. And the messenger of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and saw the bush burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moshe said, let me turn aside now and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, 
And Elohim called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moshe, Moshe. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near here. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is set apart ground. And he said, I am the Elohim of your father, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. And Moshe hid his face, for he was afraid to look at Elohim. And Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people who are in Mitzrayim, and have heard their cry because of their slave drivers, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Mitzrites, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hillites and the Yebusites. And now see, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Mitzrites oppressed them. And now come, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Mitzrayim. So I said, uh, if we examine this passage closely, you will see that verse identifies the messenger of Yahweh as the one who appeared to Moses in the bush, yet the following verses 4 through 8 shows us that Yahweh identifies himself and is used interchangeably with the messenger of Yahweh that appeared, particularly verse 6 where he says that, I am the God of your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who was their God? Yahweh. But who appeared to them? The messenger of Yahweh. Thus, their interchangeability, and thus by deduction equivalence, more than just in a nominal sense, as the article above demonstrates, is shown. So, from that passage there, it seems like that's more than just a nominal uh, identification there between the two. Seems like their their actual their actual identities are interchangeable. Like this is talking about a specific being. This isn't just an office or a you know a role or a function. You see that? Mm-hmm. So that yeah. would be you know a case where I'd say that's possibly you know the sun, your Yahweh Himself, by locating, you know, and coming down. I would I have mean, several on that. I would have a bit of a problem uh, thinking that um, the Celestial Adam, we'll have to give him a name here sometime, uh, would come down to do that, but he could if it was very important. Okay? I would think that he would send an emissary, but it could be a temporal manifestation of himself, which would actually justify him being called Yahweh more than if it was actually an emissary. In other words, it's actually almost like a portion of himself that is sent. It's really him. It's an extension of him, and it manifests, and that's what he sees. Yeah. He didn't have to see an entity. He hears a voice speaking. Well, I mean, he saw an entity, though, in the fire. Yeah, and he said, I have come down. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, that that part right there, really. I mean, Yahweh Yahweh himself says, I have come down. Right. Did he see like an angel? Huh? Did he see an angel? Is that what it said? Yeah. Yeah, he okay. saw the messenger in the in the fire. Okay, I wonder how well it was represented. Um, but actually had like a human form. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But what I'd like to say is that it's a good example when you see these uh, theophanies uh, or angelophanies or Christophanies. I mean, 
you know, like Ezekiel 1 or really almost all of them, you're trying to figure out what's going on here. There's not enough information there typically to actually draw a definitive conclusion. Now, I believe that they used to have long-standing traditions about all these things because the history of Israel was so important as things gradually developed, it was passed down from father to son, you know, who this was, who that was, and you had all this oral traditions and actually folk traditions that supported the text and people knew these things and now we're looking just at the text and we're not certain because all this traditional information is largely gone. It's retained somewhat in Judaism, the Christians tend to ignore it. They don't trust it. The scholars are much less so, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> they, Christians tend to um, start their traditions with the first century. They tend to ignore the older traditions. You know, they're outside the text, obviously. You know what I mean? <clears throat> they don't try, quite trust them. <clears throat> Okay, um, could I go on? I said, uh, now to take a detour to Daniel 7, starting at verse 9. Quote, I was looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like clean wool. His throne was flames of fire, its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire was flowing and coming forth from his presence, and a thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judge was seated, and the books were opened. I was looking. Then, because of the sound of the great words which the horn was speaking, I was looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning fire. And the rest of the beasts had their rule taken away, but a lengthening of life was given to them for a season and a time. I was looking in the night visions and saw one like the son of Enosha, or son of man, coming with the clouds of the heavens. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to him was given rulership and preciousness and a reign that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rule is an everlasting rule which shall not pass away, and his reign that which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel 7, 9 through 14. Here is where Daniel sees the Ancient of Days on his throne. His description will become important later when we focus on Revelation, but as you can see, he clearly has a body and a physical form and sits on a throne. In verse 13, Daniel sees one, quote, like the Son of Man, end quote, coming on the clouds of the heavens and is presented before the Ancient of Days, to which he has then bestowed power and honor and an everlasting rule over the earth. This is referring to when Christ ascended after the resurrection. Notice the term Son of Man. What man is he the Son of? The one on the throne, the Ancient of Days. That's my theory anyway, the heavenly man. The phrase, coming on the clouds of heaven, or the cloud rider motif, is significant as well because this language is used in many other passages to describe Yahweh, such as, Bless Yahweh, O my being, O Yahweh, my Elohim, you have been very great, you have put on excellency and splendor, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a curtain, who is laying the beams of his upper rooms in the waters, who is making thick clouds his chariot, who is walking on the wings of the wind. Psalm 104, 1 through 3. So we see another possible connection between Yahweh and the Son and their identities being interchangeable, or this Yahweh with a heavenly body. This will become clear when we examine Revelation in light of the Daniel 7 vision. It's that, uh, 
Now let us examine Revelation 1 in light of Daniel 7. And from uh, Yeshua, Yeshua Messiah, the trustworthy witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the sovereigns of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us sovereigns and priests to his Elohim and Father, to him be esteem and rule forever and ever. Amen. See, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Yes, amen. I am the first and the last, or the aleph and the tau, beginning and end, says Yahweh, who, or, yeah, Yahweh, who is, who is and what, and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John, both your brother and co-share in pressure, and in the reign and endurance of Yeshua Messiah, came to be on the island that is called Patmos for the word of Elohim and for the witness of Yeshua Messiah. Came, I came to be in the spirit on the day of Yeshua, of Yahweh, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the first and the last, or the the left and the Tao, and write in a book what you see and send it to the seven assemblies of Asia, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice which spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of Adam, dressed in a robe down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Okay, so notice, uh, so this, so Yeshua obviously was the one speaking to him, right? And he said the same self-exclamation that Yahweh said of himself in the Old Testament, you know, I am the first and the last. Same statement. And his head and hair were white as white wool, as snow, and his eyes as a flaming fire, and his feet like burnished brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So he has got the same exact physical description as the Ancient of Days, you know, the white wool hair. Mm -hmm. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And its face was as the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I became dead, and see, I am living forever and ever. Amen. And I possess the keys of the grave and of death. Write, therefore, what you have seen, both what is now and what shall take place after these. Um, the secret of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are messengers of the seven assemblies and the seven lampstands which you saw are seven assemblies. Revelation 1, 5 through 20. So there are many things to note here, so pay attention. In verse 7 we see that it was indeed Yeshua who was intended by the Son of Man of Daniel 7 and that he indeed fulfilled that vision upon his ascent after the resurrection in the first century as described here. Now notice verse 7, where it ascribes the statement, I am the Alpha and Omega, or the first and the last, to Yahweh. But then later we see in verses 11 through 13 that it is Yeshua who announces the same thing of himself. Now notice Yeshua's description in comparison to that of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. In verse 13, he is called the Son of Adam, which is significant because we consider Yahweh, or I consider Yahweh the heavenly or celestial Adam, as the higher son or lower father that emanated or begot Christ out of himself. That's basically what you were saying earlier. Notice in verse 14, it describes his hair white like wool, just as was described of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. 
Notice also verse, verses 17 through 18 where Yeshua makes statements that were otherwise only applicable of Yahweh himself. And then, so my belief here was that Yahweh, you know, the Ancient of Days and Yeshua were the same being. <clears throat> uh, and then I... Uh, I wrote one more passage. I said, After this I looked and saw a door having been opened in the heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I shall show you what has to take place after this. And immediately I came to be in the Spirit and saw a throne set in the heaven, one throne. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a ruby stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, dressed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And out of the throne came lightnings and thunders and voices, and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of Elohim. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were covered with eyes around and within, and they do not cease day or night, saying, Set apart, set apart, set apart, Yahweh El Shaddai, who was and who is and who is coming. And when the living creatures give esteem and respect and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and bow before him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Yahweh, to receive esteem and respect and power, for you have created all, and because of your desire they are and were created. So that was Revelation 4. If we examine Revelation 4 here, we will see that John was taken up to heaven and saw one throne with one sitting on it. This becomes significant when we examine other passages following. This is where it becomes pivotal. Verse 9. After this I looked and saw a great crowd, which no one was able to count, out of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Deliverance belongs to our Elohim, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the messengers stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped Elohim, saying, Amen, the blessing and the esteem and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the respect and the power and the might to our Elohim forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders responded, saying to me, Who are these dressed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Master, you know. And he said to me, these are those coming out of the great distress, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of this, they are before the throne of Elohim and serve him day and night in his dwelling place. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tent over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun strike them nor any heat. Because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne shall shepherd them and lead them to fountains of waters of life. And Elohim shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. End quote. Revelation 7, 9 through 17. So I said, here we see that John indeed saw one throne in heaven and one sitting on it, yet his character is somehow merged with that of the Lamb. We, th we, this, we see this definitively in verse 17, where it says that the Lamb, or Christ, was in the midst of the throne. 
Do we think that Christ in the Ancient of Days shared the same throne, like he's sitting on his lap or something? No, they merged and became the same being as they were previously. So, yeah, that's what I wrote. That was from months ago. That was my old theory. I like to point out this just because people need to hear this. I've mentioned it before, but uh, there's an exodus there. And that is a, by the way, that's, that's a future. Okay, let me just back off the future stuff. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a future event. So that's another thing that's not fulfilled. And um, I think I might have found another passage in the book of Revelation that's not fulfilled. i got to check on it again. But anyway, um, there's three things going on there. Christians don't believe in the future exodus. That's what it's talking about. They don't believe that Jesus is going to lead them on a, or the Son of God is going to lead them on a, an exodus, obviously. But another thing you don't believe in is that this kind of thing is going to go to Eden. It's talking about Eden there. It, it, sometimes it talks about the waters, and sometimes it talks about the tree. Uh-huh. And Christians tend to focus too much on the tree and ignore the waters, because it talks about these waters in different places in the Bible. Another thing, too, is that um, are you familiar with the... Um, the the variant reading in the Septuagint in Daniel chapter seven. Uh, elaborate probably if you explain. Okay, it. Keep look into that because um, that's that's the one that I go with, and they <clears throat> it's it, it's technical. It's um, kind of like what we might be talking about later with the definite article, but uh, it implies that they are essentially one entity, the Son of Man in the ancient days. What what but what people yeah, need well, to that's see that's what I believe. Yeah. But what people yeah. need to see there is that the ancient of days, that's not the Father. No, that's the heavenly son, right. That has yeah. to do with time and he's the Alpha and Omega. It's it's a different it's a variant thing of the Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. You know what I mean? Yep. And uh that doesn't have to do with the Father. No. Even Christians will say this. He has fathers. They always say the same thing. He's outside the sphere of time or the space-time continuum. Wow, that sounds even. Why well, I got to get a YouTube channel now? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty hefty. I'm ready to go now. I, anyway, yeah. um, so I want to give a little bit of revelation. I'm not, you know, this is up to you whether you want to hear this stuff. But we actually had some revelation on that uh, on Saturday. I'm talking about Revelation one. Okay, I had this view that the um, Yeshua ascended into heaven and he was blended together with the Father and they became one, I thought the Father was in Daniel 7, you know? Right. And I think I held that to, like, two years ago, maybe maybe even less. I thought that this was – but it never made any sense because um, it was, there was uh, – the numbers were off. In the Divine Council, you got 70. And then once you go above 70, you've got problems because yeah. – um, if 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 the father's in the council and the seventy in the council, then the son has to be there. Now, the book of Enoch says that um, Lady Wisdom is there because it says she she left or abandoned Israel and took her seat among the angels. Well, what would that be? That's that's right. the heavenly council, you know. Right. And she she should be there anyway. There should um, she should be missing because. Um, my understanding is that she's qualitatively superior to the 70. So she should be there, and that would be 72. So the son is there. Where's the father? He'd be 73. Yeah, the, the it, father is not included amidst the sons. He's outside of them and above them. 
No, you don't see these two figures, male figures above the 70 in the council. Although, if I was a Christian, what I would say, Dave, there's no female, and um, in the you know, the 72 has to do with the Father and the Son. Okay, I'd say, okay, well, where's your Holy Spirit? You see that? That'd be 73, so you're not going to solve it that way. They're ignoring the, the Holy Spirit, which they believe is a third coexistent person. Let's put him in there, too. They can't even come up with a single uh, example in Scripture anywhere where you have a throne room scene with the Holy Spirit. Right. There's nothing. This no. is a huge problem, and you will not hear Trinitarians talk about this, by the way. No. no. Okay, so anyway, here's the revelation we got um, on... on uh, <clears throat> the passage you're talking about there in Revelation 1. Now, what it's doing, is it's showing the Ancient of Days figure, but it's portrayed as, you know, Yeshua. As it, and you, you, you can see why I would naturally assume they're blended together. But see, then once you figure out that the Ancient of Days is the uh, celestial Adam, you're going, okay, that's not what's going on. But um, I thought that they were, were temporarily blended together in like a theophany, you know, in heaven that John saw to illustrate something. Uh, but, but we were told, and this was actually kind of poured into my head, because sometimes when I ask these questions, they will pour stuff into my head, and like, the answer is given me, even if I'm asking it, and I'm going, wow. And then I'll get confirmation. That's like a wow. double confirmation. So um, they said that they weren't bl blended together, even though it's the, uh, the Son of God in a higher, lower form. But it's showing who he is. In other words, yeah. they, didn't, they weren't together at that time. They will be blended together in the future, but it didn't actually happen at that time, at least not that moment. I'm not even saying oh, I know, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying they weren't blended together. I'm just saying that passage there does not show that they were blended together at that time. What it's doing is he's seen a vision, and the vision teaches something, communicates something, just like all the other visions he saw. He's showing how lofty the Son of God is. He has this connection with the divine, obviously. So well, it's conflating, yeah, it's conflating his identity with the Ancient of Days, like the higher and lower self, conflating them. But anyway, uh, yeah. go do a little research on um, on the variant reading in, in uh, Daniel 7 in the LXX, because um, once again, that becomes um, an interesting passage there. You got something to work with when well, you're talking about a higher and lower self. Yeah. Because this vision yeah. is, and you can see how they either, um, you know, the best, I'm going to go with the, the LXX. I think there's actually a conspiracy. Well, there was a conspiracy to corrupt the Masoretic text. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, we already ran across this in Deuteronomy 32. They corrupted that. Yep. It, it's a question because, see, these older variant readings. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls agree with the Septuagint on that. The Dead Sea Scrolls. And yeah. sometimes Samaritan Pentateuch, although that's not a reliable source, but at least it's there. I mean, it's older, supposedly. And it's supposed to be older. It's supposed to be, you know. And I don't want to question everything here. But, um, yeah, that's showing a higher and lower there. I mean, you can see this theology. It's all there right in Daniel 7. Yeah. So, mm hmm <clears throat> I'm actually uh, looking up the Septuagint uh, translation of that now. Do you know what verse it's in specifically? I think it's kind of, no, I don't. I don't. I think it's kind of technical. I don't think it, I don't think it jumps out at you um, in the English reading. Uh, okay. And in fact, 
want to give you a warning about the Brenton version. I think he was Illuminati, and I, 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 a lot of times he is not showing how truly distinctive the Septuagint is. It's watering down the translation. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. This is a 19th century Brenton version. I don't, I don't have a Brenton, so I don't, I don't know. Well, it, man, I've actually got one. I just realized that it's a great big, huge. Uh, you know, it's got it's got the Greek there too. That's why it's so big. Uh, it's got it's got the English and the Greek. But it, it, it's um, there's more modern, independent Septuagint versions that are more yeah. accurate than that one. Yeah, he's he's covered things up there. You can see it. The Septuagint that I have is the Orthodox Study Bible. That, that has the uh, King James and the Greek. Yeah, I think so. Not sure. I'd have to go, have to go get it. I'll try to avoid the word New Testament, so that's why I said Greek. Yeah. It well, new I have this. I have this article here too that I found a long time ago when I was researching the Angel of Yahweh. Uh-huh. And uh, it actually goes into the definite article issue that you brought up. Uh-huh. I can read it if you want. It's kind of a... Uh... Go ahead, but I've already decided that we're not going to resolve anything here um, significant. I don't think so. As far as what I've said so far, um, I could explain why, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I can, let me say this before we can get started. I don't want you to think that um, the definite article has anything to do with this revelation that we got. I don't think it's going to affect that at all because uh, if, they're, if they're, first of all, when I said that the definite article was not there on the show, you know, I'm doing this live. I didn't prep for it at all. I'm going by memory, uh, but I know it's not there. Now, there's two ways that you can say this. When you say the definite article is not there, you're talking about the physical text, and you're looking at, um, you know how the Hebrew is expressed when you see it, like an interlinear version. It's very hard to read. I'm talking about when it's written out in English. You know what I mean? It doesn't even read right like English. You know what I mean? But you can see the definite article, whether it's there or not. Now, I'm talking about in the text, okay? When you understand Hebrew, that's what I was talking about, by the way. But when you understand Hebrew, it doesn't matter if it's literally in the text. It's implied based on the structure of the sentence, right? Right. Right. The words. That's where it gets complicated. And you've got people who disagree on this, and I am concerned because I've seen this kind of thing before. Um, You have, you know, what I call theological bias. Um, The way that I would express that is that all translating committees, um, they have translating bias because they have established traditions and. Unfortunately, these things get connected with money. It takes money to do everything in the money system. It takes money to have a translating committee and create a Bible. You can't just do it with nothing, you know what I mean, if it's going to be a popular translation. And uh, and so that influences um, translating committees. There's well-established traditions. It's difficult to break away from tradition. But if, if you have a firm belief that which most – Christian theologians do, and most Christians as well, um, if they're familiar with the subject, they believe that the angel of the Lord, and I still use that terminology because it just sounds right, angel of the Lord, I don't have a problem saying that, you know. Uh, they think it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Now, if they, if 
that, that's where you can have a theological bias, where they ha have this tendency, it creeps in, that it should say that. Because one of these guys did, one of the things these guys didn't talk about is any kind of exceptions to the rule. I want to find out if there's any grammatical exceptions. I'm not trying to say there is, but there could be. Yeah, but and I want to know your your, your view wouldn't render wouldn't render that possibility incompatible. You could still have that in some instances where it, it actually is Yahweh bilocating or like I was huh. saying. Well, I've seen before because um, when I used to study the Watchtower, I ran on all this technical stuff all the time. Uh, and, and you, you have, have just as much of a you have just as much of a problem trying to prove that the angel of the Lord is is an is a, just an office or a role or a title in every single case in an absolute sense. Uh huh. So, well, mean, there's grammatical exceptions. Another one I think that people need to know is this is um, we're not looking at the original Hebrew. This, that was written in the Paleo Hebrew. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay, it's not that. This is not Paleo-Hebrew anymore. It's been corrupted. Now, I would be the first to tell you that scholars who are you know, evangelical, conservative, they do not like the word corruption, especially when it has to do with death. They don't like the word corruption when it has to do with Christianity. Either. They don't like it at all. Okay, but the liberals will talk about this, but they're not really thinking along these lines. They're thinking preservation it's possible. I'm not trying to say this is what happened. I'm just saying there's some enough unknown variables that things could be possible that something like that could get lost along the way. Um, so anyway, I think the most important thing is the context of Scripture across across the board. You know, always. And so, it's got to make sense at some point. You know what I mean? And some of the things that they come up with, their translations, they don't make any sense. For instance, let's let's take an obvious example. Um, they have a theological bias and tradition of translating the you know the, the Greek word aeon is is uh as forever, and that turns into an absolute absurdity because they try to be consistent, and it becomes completely absurd in certain contexts. You've seen this, right? Yeah. And you can see where they're flat dead wrong, and uh, they should translate it inconsistently. They're trying to be consistent, but in being consistent, they're actually exposing that they're mistranslating it. And, and, and this is absolute proof, because there's no way it could be forever. Anybody can recognize that. I just ran into one of these passages um, yesterday. In fact, I think it might – well, this would be, you know, the Hebrew. They have a similar word. In, well, I know. In, I mean, in, it talks about aeon or olam in the Hebrew, yeah, coming to an end or having a beginning. Yeah, so it, it cannot possibly mean forever. Yeah, in the uh, in the Septuagint, it would be the same word, you know, the Greek translation. Neonios, um, yeah. Let me see here what they say in Obadiah. I'm just taking a shot at it. Uh, no, it's not there. Oh, hold on, just a second. Let me see, just a second real quick. No, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> um. But it's something that's clearly temporal, and they're calling it forever because they're translating that word consistently, and yeah. uh, they don't want, they don't want to translate it inconsistently. Either way, it's going to show that there's a problem. So they chose to translate it consistently, almost as if it's covering it up. You know, I think you want to believe their intentions are good, but obviously, 
There are transcendent committees out there. Everybody on that committee is Illuminati, and there's no way you couldn't prove that this doesn't happen. The question is, how many of these academics think about this? I would say none of them. So they're not even in the game on that kind of thing. They don't talk about uh, diabolical conspiracies with uh, translated committees. Obviously, the Illuminati has created at least one Bible. I mean, you know, this is ridiculous. But they, they can't even get to that level. You see, that, that's just too far out of the box. You know something, Chris? Um, these guys look pretty bad, just like doctors sometimes. But um, I'm, I'm sure that they have private opinions that they don't vocalize. And uh, that's not good because as a Christian, they should not let – I would classify that as fear. I mean, if you, if you can't speak the truth, you're supposed to be serving Christ. Uh, that's a form of selfishness, and it's actually a sin, sin of um, omission. You know what I mean? Keeping your mouth shut, won't speak the truth in order to preserve your own career and your position. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's not Yeah. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> I, I think um, they get locked into this mentality. Everybody's doing it. And they just don't think about it, what they're doing. They don't examine their own actions because it's okay because so many people are doing it. So <clears throat> Sometimes you really have to jolt people, you know, into doing something like that. So. <clears throat> okay, well, I'm going to... Go ahead. All right. Well, it says uh, definite or indefinite. It says, uh, when it comes to the angel of Yahweh, the definite article sets him off from other angels and also ties together the various episodes featuring someone called, quote, the angel of the Lord, end quote, showing that the angel is one and the same person in all of these divine human encounters. Some have argued that since there is no definite article in the Hebrew phrase Malak Yahweh, then it should be translated into English as an angel of the Lord. But this is surely mistaken. And Hebrew nouns and their modifiers are in agreement, such that if Yahweh is definite, then Malak is definite as well. Since Yahweh is a proper noun, indeed it is the distinctive name of the God of Israel, according to the rules of Hebrew grammar, it is intrinsically and therefore always definite. In other words, the grammatical construction of Malak Yahweh in Hebrew, where the second noun, a proper noun, Yahweh, is definite, requires that the first noun, which is in the construct state, be understood in a definite way as well. Okay, now I don't know about any of this. This is just what he's saying. Um, in response to this, some have argued that the phrase then is determinate merely because this is required by the construction in Hebrew, such that the inspired authors could not have spoken of the angel as, quote, an angel of Yahweh, even if they wanted to. But this is also mistaken. In such a case, if the author wanted to render the phrase indefinite, all that he would need to do is include a Lamed proposition between Malek and Yahweh. Theologian, your hardest voice speaks to this error. Quote, the objection that before a proper noun, the preceding noun standing in the construct state becomes inevitably determinate. In other words, that it would be impossible to make, quote, angel of Jehovah, end quote, undeterminate. Even though it may have been intended so, does not hold good. The Hebrew has a way of saying, an angel of Jehovah. All that is necessary is to insert the proposition, Lamed, between angel and Jehovah, an angel of Jehovah. It is highly instructive, therefore, that the Hebrew Old Testament never employs such a construction. The phrase that is used is an invariably Malak Yahweh. The fact that this phrase refers to one and only one is underscored by the fact that the phrase is never used of angels in the plural, 
In all of the writings of the Old Testament, the biblical authors never speak of Malachim Yahweh, i.e. angels of Yahweh. It may be replied that they do, however, if even if only on certain rare occasions speak of angels of God, e.g. Genesis 28.12, 32.1, and 2 Chronicles 36.16. But in this case, it needs only to be pointed out that once again a distinction is drawn between angels of God in general and the angel of God in particular. Whereas the phrase Malik Yahweh does not permit using the definite article, for its definite definiteness is determined by the use of the proper name of God, Yahweh, the phrase Malak Elohim, which uses the more general term for deity, does permit such a construction as in Genesis thirty one eleven. But for all that it never but for all that it never uses the definite article when speaking of angels in the plural. It speaks of, quote, the angel of God and angels of God, but never does it speak of the angels of God, thereby once again drawing a clear distinction between this angel and all others. So that's what they said on that. Um, I know they give some other they give some other really good passages too where I would uh, hold on. Okay, let me just read this. So, it says, uh, Even if the question of whether the phrase is definite or indefinite cannot be settled on grammatical grounds alone, and from the above it can be seen that available evidence says that it can, it would still be possible to deduce that God was not dispatching many different angels on the occasions when the Bible uses the phrase Malak Yahweh, and that one specific and special angel is in view throughout. After God tested Abraham's faith by commanding him to sacrifice Isaac, which Abraham promptly set out to obey, we are told that the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven, Genesis 22:11, telling him not to harm Isaac, for Abraham's faith had been proved after Abraham sacrifices a ram in the place of his son. We are then told the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, Genesis 22:15, showing that it was the same angel as at the first. Of course, it might be argued that this is ambiguous, as it might just indicate that Abraham heard a second time from an angel and not that it was the same angel, or that it is of minimal significance, since this doesn't entail that the same angel angel appeared to Hagar before him, or that it was the same angel who appeared later to Isaac, Jacob, and others under the name Angel of Yahweh. But even if this is granted, no such ambiguity or insignificance attaches to the following. When Jacob of whom we read many times that the angel of the Lord appeared to him, prays in Genesis 48 that, quote, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, end quote. Yeah, that verse is one of the ones where I uh, knew about before, and that's one of the ones where it's clearly not making a nominal identification between God and the and the angel. It's equating. It's their identities are interchangeable there. Uh, where does so this, this can't this can't just be any angel that bears the name. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the angel was the God who walked who who you know before Abraham and Isaac walked. And that yeah, was that Yahweh. Might, yeah, that might be the son of God there. That's what I mean, see? So there's cases where... That's what I mean. 
So your your position can't be absolute either. Uh, this is a very slippery doctrine. I don't think you can prove it wrong. I think that's probably why I mentioned it on the show. Um, I just don't think you can do it. Um, I don't think you can prove it right either. I, I say that with a lot of things. But, uh, again, the definite article is not even important to me anymore unless there's something that I'm missing. I thought it was important at first because I was thinking that it pointed to singularity. It can point to singularity, but not necessarily to a single entity. It points to singularity as far as a role, or you said office, or a yeah. function fitful uh-huh. that is filled by more than one entity. Now, here's the problem. From this yeah, case I would agree. Forward, I would agree with you on that. But I think that the Son of God... I think that Yahweh bilocated and that some of them referred to that. Here's the thing, Chris. Anytime it refers to the uh, angel of the Lord and it speaks as if it's the Son of God, I'm not going to, I don't deny it. So uh, I don't have a problem with that. Like I said, that's probably, that's probably him. It's probably not, you know, Michael. It's probably not Gabriel. It's pro- that's probably the Son of God there. So I don't yeah. have a problem with that. But see, yeah. here's the thing. How does someone infallibly prove that that the angel of the Lord cannot be more than one entity? How, well, how do you I, do that? That's not even that's not even my argument. I'm not arguing that. I agree with you I on know, that. I'm saying how do, how do they do it? Because no, can, I, I agree have, with you. They can't. Yeah, they can't do it. Um, pro, a, a, the, the article uh, points to a single entity. How do you know it doesn't point to a single role? I agree. No, I agree with it's you on that. Yeah. Oh, so this is not really a big issue anymore, unless there's something I'm missing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're on the same page then. It's pretty slippery. It's hard to prove it wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, oh, the term I came up with, I had two terms here. One of them is oneness, binetarianism, and the reason is I don't feel comfortable with binetarianism. Yeah. Uh, for different reasons. Um, because it doesn't emphasize um, unity enough. Sure, yeah. See, yeah, that's, I why I, that's why I had a problem with the term. Yeah. Son actually comes out of the Father, and you actually read a passage earlier that talked about the Son being contained within the Father, and they ignore that. Yeah, he was. He existed in the the bosom of the Father before he yeah, emerged they, as in a heavenly they also, body. They also ignore or tend to de-emphasize the fact that Jesus said he was seen me as seen the Father, and also in, in John ten exactly. thirty, yeah. he said, "I and the Father are one." Yeah, yeah, or, or the one where it says the Son is the the image of the invisible Father. Now, in Trinitarian theology, they will emphasize the unity of the three. Um, But they tend to emphasize, they do both, of course, distinction. They have to have, here's the thing, the father can never be the son, the son can never be the father, right? Right. Never the two can mix. Okay, well, that's why I disagree. Now, there's a sense where that's true, but what I'm saying is that um, they can be one functional unit at one time, you know what I mean? Um, I agree, yeah. Yeah. One becomes two, and they don't have that. They just don't have that. So. No, no. So they're not going to be even thinking along those lines. I also wanted to say, too, that when I, you know, I just wanted to point something out, but I'm not trying to make an excuse for anything by saying, well, it, it, it you know, it used to be Paleo-Hebrew, because that could apply to every doctrine. You know what I mean? 
No, I know. I was thinking. I was thinking that while you were talking. <laughs> the only the only point that, that I would like to point out and make out there is that um, we don't have the certainty that we used to have because we here's the thing we cannot measure the corruption just based on that alone. No, I agree. Yeah. In fact, we don't even know what the corruption is. Um, but these guys are the same guys that are believing the chronologies, right? Yeah. Despite the fact that we uh, don't have certainty with um, starting dates, and you don't hear them talking much about Jeremiah 8.8, and uh, that's talking about deliberate corruption, not accidental corruption, but deliberate corruption of the biblical text. Yep. Not some other extra-canonical text. Go look at the verse. And this was in Jeremiah's day. And this may actually refer to um, the whole Deuteronomy phenomenon. Could, yeah. yeah. It doesn't yeah, place it. It's a timing. So, no. And Christians don't think this way. So you've got a, a big gap between the conservatives and the liberals. The liberals are thinking the evangelicals are too busy defending the text. Yeah. Is it perfect? It's not perfect. It, right. Only the originals. And like I said before, if you had the original sitting in the lap of a textual critic, he couldn't prove it was the original. People don't talk about that. So it doesn't prove anything if you had the original. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be certain that it was, I mean, how are you going to do that? You know, you can't do that. All right, well, we we'll can, talk about, we can uh, talk about Satan now if you want. Okay. They're going to try to use science and everything like that, you know, with the text. And I don't trust that because um, if something's important... Oh, yeah, no, I don't either. People yeah. always wiggle their way in there, just like with a shrouded turn, and try to create confusion. And then you're going, is it this or it's that? And everybody's confused. And if there's a threat, yeah. they will always attempt to neutralize it, won't they? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say my belief, I guess, about... Satan. Uh, I've I actually mentioned on a previous uh, call, so I found this interesting that you you said this on your podcast. But I I mentioned this on one of my previous calls before beforehand. So it's like we again we like came to the same conclusion independently. I said that uh, I believe that Satan or the heavenly Satan was above the seven, like he was in his own special category. He's extremely uh-huh. lofty. Uh huh. Did you hear me mention that? You can stop there, but um, Christians need to remember that they believe that Satan was a very important angel in heaven. Yeah. And they believe that he's still up in heaven, and he hasn't even been cast out yet, because they don't think that Revelation 12 was fulfilled in the first century. So this is what Christians believe. They think he's a powerful angel uh, up in heaven. Okay, here's the question. Show me his rank in hierarchy. Can they do that? No, they can't. They don't know what his rank is, do they? No. No. Uh, But they will not allow us to speculate because in Western theology, everything's all figured out. Yep. So they start name-calling and labeling, and you're a heretic, this is blasphemy, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to affirm anything as far as his rank. I said what I said deliberately, so this is your opinion. Oh, you didn't you didn't say that he was above the seven? I thought you did. I didn't say I didn't affirm that at all. <laughs> well, you said he wasn't part of the seventy. I know that. 
This is what I will affirm. You said, affirm. He, you said he was above the 70. I, I, said he, I said he could be above or below. And here's the reason why I say that. I don't believe that you can use Scripture. Show me a verse that can place him definitively above the 70. Uh, you'd be placing him above Michael and below the Son of God, right? Can you think of a single verse to do that? Are you, are you asking me? Yeah. No. Well, see, we're, we're talking to people that are bibliocentric, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to dig my own hole, you know what I mean? Because I can't prove anything, so. Oh, well, I mean, I, I have no problem doing that. I've already done that on past calls. <laughs> <laughs> You've already sunk yourself over and over again, too. I uh, I have I'm not well, sure I, I actually said on Pascal I think he's the counterpart of uh, actually I think he's the counterpart of the celestial Adam. I've said that he's a heavenly Esau. If you reflect on that, that that will reveal a number. Yeah, of the interest. twins. That's what I said in Pascal. I think he's the counterpart of the celestial Adam. That doesn't mean they're equal though. You got to be careful celestial... because I actually said this on the show. We we believe that. Um, Jacob's higher self was uh, Michael and not uh, Celestial Adam. Celestial Adam was uh, Abraham. Uh-huh. And Abraham. Uh-huh. His father. You know, so. mm-hmm. Okay. Father. Well, I guess I could, I could revise my position based on that then. I mean... That's true. Um, you know, as above, so below. There's not a strict parallel there. Not a strict counterpart to the sun. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I've run checks on that over the years, and uh, I was I, I didn't used to believe that. Well, I mean, didn't you just give it away then? What you believe about Satan's rank? Uh, well, no, I didn't affirm anything. Okay. You have you know more <laughs> than other people, so you you, you got I mean, more information. It seems like then that would follow by necessity that he's Michael's counterpart, then, right? I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could let me talk for twenty minutes straight, and I would explain why I'm simply going to delay talking about this subject. Um, I could say a lot about that. So, a lot okay, of yeah. to do Protecting the audience. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think about that kind of thing. So, anyway. Yeah. I mean, okay, well, I wouldn't have a problem with that. So. We're also told to wait about this. Um, sometimes I wonder if I speak about it all, if I've said too much. But I do want to affirm I cannot approve anything significant as far as rank or, or nature. With scripture, I don't see anything explicit. So, sure, yeah. Now you, right there, you can see that they would have had traditions. They would have known. Notice how Christians are kind of, I wouldn't say obsessed, but uh, considering how little the Bible actually says about Satan as far as actual information, uh, you know, they're real interested in that subject, okay? And obviously, um, you know, the ancient Hebrews would have been as well. They were very... Uh, they thought a lot about the spiritual realm more than modern Christians. So based on that, they would have thought about this, and they they would have had an opinion. And yeah. I think their opinion is a lot different than our opinion. See, um, if you look at Matthew seventeen eleven, where Jesus is basically telling you that everything's going to be corrupted because it has to, it's going to be restored. 
You can apply that to uh, cosmology, right? We're going to have a cosmology that's corrupted. It's going to be restored. Well, the same yeah. thing with Satan. The doctrine of Satan is so important. The fact that it's correlated with um, Satan himself, do you think Satan's going to get involved with that? Of course he is. And so pretty much by default, the standard Christian view is going to have significant error. But notice that they have this cut and dried doctrine of Satan, and it's pretty, um, it's pretty all finished. They don't really uh, tamper with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, it's just dumb, 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 dumb talk. I, I, I'm serious. It, it's just pathetic. So I, you also see these myths about Satan. It shows you how ignorant people are. Let's take an example. They'll say that he's like, um, he was the, he, he was in the heavenly choir. Remember that? You ever heard that one? I actually Satan believe that. He, he played the pipes. This is no I actually sound believe that, though. Well, they're trying to base that on uh, on uh, Ezekiel uh, 28, right? Yeah. No, I don't believe that. Anyway, <clears throat> I think that's an inferior Elohim, by the way. So. No, I, I, I agree with you, but I, I think that uh, I think that Satan had an association with music uh, in the in heaven. Might be some revelation of the method there. Okay, I don't see that in scripture, but uh, I wouldn't have a problem with that because I believe that uh, he would be involved with worship. I just want to say too that all these entities are sons of God. It's all one family. It's going to sound like Mormonism. It's going to sound like um, Armstrongism. You no know, worldwide church of God. Um, the reason it sounds like that is because uh, they've taken these truths and they've put them in context that conservative Christians are going to reject. They put them in these cults. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, let me see. that um, Everyone was, was pure at one time. Uh, it's, this is why they covered up that spirits are not created. Yeah. I I got a great quote there, a contrarious quote in the notes somewhere. It says, we have an opinion around here that the greatest psyop ever was the wall of silence. And you'll see this in Christianity over and over. No discussion. They don't want you to think about it. So there's not going to be a debate. There's not going to be discussion. There's not going to be nothing. It's all you get is this lockdown. Right, right. I mentioned on the last show, you see that with Luke, 338, how can that not be important, the possibility that Adam could be the son of God? Obviously, that's important. Do you hear the discussion? No. So, right? And, and there's a lot of these discussions, and they simply don't take his place historically. If they did, they've been suppressed. And so, anyway, they all came from a place of purity. Yeah. Some of them fell through a fault like this entity that we're talking about. Um, others were artificially darkened. I believe that's what happened with Azazel. He was fitted for a role. Yeah, I and you can, see this also, you can see this also. Everyone's a vessel of light, by the way. You see this also in um, you know, Proverbs 16, 4, where it says God made everything for himself, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Yep. Okay. Well, they were fitted for that role, and you'll see that in Romans 9, uh, 23. Um, it's predestined. Yeah, they didn't. They don't have to do anything. But if they did, then that was predestined too. Well, I think the and, same thing but, actually happened with the heavenly Satan. You said it was from a fault, but uh, 
mean, if the typology is correct with uh, Jacob and Esau, then, uh, you know, God, uh, I mean, the same thing would hold true. He said, I loved Jacob, I hated Esau, you know, before they did anything good or bad. Mm-hmm. He predestined uh, the heavenly Satan, you know, the same way. But anyway, the other thing I want to say is that they all go back to a state of purity, and curses are in denial of what it clearly states in Colossians uh, 1, 15 through 19 or 20, that if you yeah. have been created, yep. determine whether it's been created. Because if it's been created, don't deny the text. It will be reconciled. And they don't believe yeah. this. They believe their eternal hell doctrine. That's what they love. And so they can't see it. So however this works, it came from a place of purity. And it'll all be restored to a place of purity. And the important thing to understand, it's a family of Elohim, and they are all sons and daughters of God, all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, we've all been programmed to freak out about, you know, in Mormonism, they say that Lucifer was a son of Jesus. Oh, my God. And the Mormons came to my door last week. And oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the way you're supposed to react. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, can you use uh, Job 1 and 2 to prove that um, that he's not a son of God? He's in the divine council there. I think you can How infer you, it. You can infer it that he is. Yeah. It, it, well, I don't believe it proves it either. I think it infers it more than it doesn't. But um, how do you yeah. prove that he's not a son of God? Do they ever do that? Oh, you can't. No, you can't. Oh. No, they assume that with no proof. Yeah. It doesn't explicitly yeah. state anywhere. Well, even the demons are referred to as Elohim. Right, yeah. There's a reason for that. They're basically little gods. Mm -hmm. A demon is the higher self of a human, and you don't hear that. Yep. There's a human out there that's connected with these demons. Yeah. No. Well, you see that with the... You see that with the... Guess what, Chris? This is what? why it talks about communication with the dead. No, I know. Yeah. Within the context of communing with, guess who? Demons. Okay, why yeah. does it refer to demons as the dead? Well, they would say because they're um, they're dark spirits and have to do with spiritual death. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, but what if it's something else? They never yeah. even thought about that. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's all the, expl- the explanation for ancestor worship. Yeah, yeah, I heard you talk about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was going to say, I mean, you see that uh, higher self being linked there in uh, Ezekiel 28 and the Isaiah. You know, it's talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and then Lucifer. Okay, I was just uh, going to mention that. You see the higher and the lower. Now, yeah. the traditional Christian... In- they're, they're, being, they're being conflated. They're being conflated. Yeah, it cannot explain those passages. Now, what people will do, they're saying, is this talking about Satan, or is it talking about a man? Is it talking about Satan, or yeah. is it talking about tire? See? Right. And they don't have the ability to... Well, it's talking about a celestial being and a man. Can you figure that out? That doesn't make any sense. Of course. Yep. yep. And uh, those are fascinating passages once you think of them uh, along those lines. Yeah. You want to take a quick look at uh, Isaiah 14? Yeah. Like I said, uh, Ezekiel 28 is not as important to me. Um, 
but I don't think it's talking about the same entity. Right. We we believe that's a lesser entity, lesser being. Uh huh. Yeah. Anyway, when it says in Isaiah fourteen twelve, this is not where it begins, but uh, how you are fallen from heaven. Now the question is: Is that referring to the Nimbus character, or is that I? It's Nimrod, okay. Now I used to believe it was Cain. Now the reason is is because Cain is the son of the dawn. Curses are confused when they when they see the word dawn and when they see the word star. They think right. whenever they see the word morning star, they go, "Oh, that's Venus." They don't understand that that's a reference to an Elohim. But it doesn't mean that it could be a double metaphor that refers to both. But if I was going to choose, I would say it refers to an entity and not a literal star. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, see, a dawn is the metaphorical term for the beginning. word beginning. When we say the word beginning, everybody knows who that ter- what that means. Genesis, right? Yep. And that's true. But yep. um, elsewhere in Scripture... The word dawn and the word morning, it's the same thing as beginning. It's just figurative. They don't get yeah. that. Yeah. So when he talks about morning star, it's just like John 1.1. 1, 1. He was there with the Father. He was present at the beginning. It doesn't talk about eternity. He's not a created being. I mean, he preexisted. This is not Aaronism. Yeah. But um, it's, you can't use that as a proof text. For the eternality of Christ, eternal preexistence, it's not talking about that. It's just talking about he was there, present with the Father at the beginning. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, but you see, Cain is the son of the dawn. Right. Now, somewhat interestingly, I believe this passage is referring to Nimrod, not not Nebuchadnezzar, but I believe that uh, Cain incarnated as, as Nimrod, and then he incarnated as Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, that's what I believe, yeah. Yep. And also Alexander, Alexander the Great, yep. who believed that his higher self was Apollo, and Apollo was Nimbus. That's He's got a lot of names. Am I What they need to understand is that uh, this Nimbus figure is uh, a prominent, uh, we call him a pagan god. I mean, he's well known. You, you would recognize his other names, you know. It, uh, what the Christians don't understand is that... Um, these entities that they're familiar with in the Bible are actually found outside of the Bible with, um, you know, like Greek and Roman and possibly even Babylonian names. They don't they don't think along those lines. The scholars don't do that, right? Yep, yep, yep. Now, I'm not saying that Enhill, you know, is, um, is uh, the son of God. I don't know about that. The only thing I'm certain is that Enki is Azazel. Well, now, based on that. what you said earlier, Enlil could be uh, Michael. If he's the counterpart, but I don't. I don't know. I. Uh, I. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know either. I'm just saying it's possible now that that could be different. It's possible they're all kind of dark, darker gray, sure. and none of them are really you know the heavenly ones. Here's 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 where we get seduced. Uh, it says in uh, what is it Genesis? Is it Genesis 11? That says, "Come and let us go down and confuse their tongues." Yeah. Right. So here you've got these relatively pristine entities going down to earth. That's what it says. So now you're going to say, hey, here they are right here. You know, uh, here's Enyo and uh, and there's, you know, Nintersag and uh, and that's uh, Azra. And uh, it may be. 
But I don't think the Son of God is there. And uh, beyond that, I can't really comment. As far as the female goes, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that, you know, being Azero or something like that. There's a dark goddess, too, because Nimbus has a consort, you know, so she could be down there. Or I don't, I don't know. I don't really trust it. Well, I mean, so, you're always the one who said, come, let us go down. I mean, I don't know. The sun could have been there. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, I, I, I'm, see, I'm not saying they didn't go down. I'm just saying yeah. don't assume that this group here is that group. Well, sure, they yeah. Groups, one is light and one is dark. We don't. I don't think we have enough information. So you really can't determine anything there without revelation. You really can't. No, but no, I know. I agree. I'm confident that Inky is um, is Azazel. You know, it says that he's the Lord of uh, of the uh, of the Apsu, and that's exactly what I was talking about in the show. He's identified with the, the, the lower waters and uh, the anti heaven. Both of them. There it is right there, see? Yep. And he used to come yeah, up to so the surface at that time. And yeah, he's either so. Oan or Dagon or both. I used to think Oans and Dagon are the same. I mean, I know there's a real strong tendency, but I thought we were shown one time they might be different, and I was just going, what? That's run check on that again. That might be a mistake or something. You know? But that, that, either Dagon or Oans is him, or either that or both of them. You know what I mean? He's a fish, fish god. And there's a reason they, why do they call him a fish god, Chris? Because he's identified with the waters. Yeah, I agree. That's Azazel. Now, the, Nimba, he's identified with the air. Yeah. Up high. That's why he's called the prince of the air. The Christians, they don't have an answer for that either. No. They don't really understand why it says that. They can't figure out whether he has to do with hell or what he has to do with heaven. They try to make him okay. fit both. Oh, anyway. Okay, so, so I be, yeah, I believe like you that yeah, there are these two primary antagonists or Satan's or adversaries, or proper. Uh, now, yeah, Azazel being uh, um, the Hades of the Persephone myth and in the Golden Age, and he's primarily uh, confined to this realm the underworld, but I don't think, uh, I think he can move freely back and forth, uh, at least for a time, because that's even in the Greek mythology as well. That he, you know, he wasn't, uh-huh. I mean, it's, he could move from heaven to the underworld. I mean, he wasn't restricted there, you know. Uh, we were told so being that he ruled over, so that's where he was primarily most of the time, yeah, that, but not, huh? That's his realm. He tried to expand it and um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Nazi Germany. They expanded into Russia, and they had to pull back, you know. Uh, I think his kingdom has been downsized. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I, think he's lo- I think he's locked there now. Something I think he happened. Is but um, he was uh, trying to acquire the surface, supposedly. But he may not even have access to the surface anymore, but he doesn't have access to heaven anymore. But I, I want to point out something important about him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not referred to as Satan as far as a name anywhere in Scripture. I'm not even sure if he's referred as an adversary prophet, but he's not He's not identified with the term Adam, as far as I know. I mean, excuse me. Adon. Satan, you mean. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think he uh, might possibly be the Baal and Ashtaroth, though, that pair, uh, because... 
I think that's uh, who they uh, were reverencing was the, the pair that they understood was the, you know, Hades and Persephone or Baal and Asheroth. Okay. So there's think... actually there's actually uh, evidence that uh, Hades used to be worshipped as a fertility god, as well. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they'd reverence them both as a pair, some sort of fertility pair. You know. I would think that a Baal would be Nimbus. Uh, people get confused because uh, you know Yahweh is referred to as Baal, and it's just a Hebrew word. So it depends on the context. Yeah. Totally. Very confusing. Just like the word worship, you've got people, it just means to bow or prostrate. You've got, um, what is it, in Joshua 5? I think that's Michael, by the way, but it, it appears to be like, well, there's a good example right there. If you just look at that, I think a lot of scholars will think that's the angel of the Lord right there. But he said, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, there's only two possibilities. That's either Michael it correlates with Revelation 12, which says he's the commander, or it's Christ. I believe it's Michael that's based on that. Yeah. So there's an example. I mean, can you use Scripture to prove that that is not the angel of the Lord? It doesn't give you the detail. You can't infallibly prove that. So it allows the possibility right there that you could have at least Michael and Christ fulfilling the role of the angel of the Lord. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I mean... You're not supposed to worship angels right there. Well, that's what the guy's doing. I mean, he's prostrating himself, and you'll see this yeah, with Abraham as well. So it all depends on the context. Yeah. And so um, that's the way it is with these words. It's not all cut and dry like we like. And I think one of the reasons is because they have so much, um, you know, verbiage that supported the text. It's It's been lost, and now we struggle because we don't have clarity in these passages anymore, see? Yeah, I, I used to think that God just uh, made it simple, but uh, I've moved away from that, more towards this model that we've lost all this information. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's referring to Nimrod, um, and uh, but it's acknowledging that he used to be Cain, because I don't believe that Nimrod proper is the uh, son of the dawn, but he, it, but it can be, and I'm going to explain why, because I believe that... Um, that Noah was a new Adam, because it was a new earth yeah. yep. type of Adam. That's why he had a supernatural birth. I actually accept what the text says in First Enoch, that he had a supernatural birth. He was had whitish skin. He looked like an angel, kind of like. And by the yeah. way, that's revealing something about Noah. Noah is special. Usually, yeah. in these different incarnations of the Son of God, they will do at least like one thing to show this guy's special, but you can't really prove anything with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I think it's acknowledging that uh, Nimrod used to be Cain, who is the son of the dawn. I mean, you could make a case that, um, that there's a new dawn in a new world. But um, I think it's referring to Cain. And, of course, Lucifer in the re- Texas Receptus received text. That's a scribal edition, an interpolation. Uh, by Saint Jerome, I actually think he was an agent, and it was diabolical, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be there. And it's talking about um, Hallel, the shining one, Morning Star, right? Yeah, yep. Day Star, and again, that has to do with basically what it's doing. 
See, I believe that Adam is the morning star. Yeah. If you want to call uh, Celestial Adam, that's fine. And so, this, see, you, you have, here's the thing. You have two different heads. Right, yeah, he's he's the anti-morning star. He's the dark morning the star. The head, the entire hierarchy that relates to a bloodline. Christians don't understand this. Whoever the yeah. Antichrist is, he should be the father, he should be the head. He'd be the number one candidate. But they don't see this because they don't believe in any kind of um, more than one incarnation, see. Basically, yeah, yeah. what we're talking about here is these entities are important enough that they can incarnate several times. Other people don't, but they can. And Christians don't make allowance for this, so they're not going to see these things in Scripture. And so then it says, um, how, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. That could be both of them, or it could yeah. be uh, uh, Nimbus. Yeah. Then when it says... You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. There's a temptation to look at this as a delusional Nimrod. But um, we were actually shown that it's, uh, it was Nimbus. And uh, yeah. look, uh, Nimrod was not stupid enough to think that he could uh, pierce the, uh, the firmament like uh, these idiots on YouTube and set up his throne. It says above the stars of God. I think the reason he says that is because the stars are below the firmament. Yeah. And I set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. And the Mount of Assembly is divine council. Do you really yeah. think that Nimrod thought he could sit in divine council? No. No. But see, um, if you think this is the same figure in Job 1 and 2, he's in the, the council. Yeah. So whether he yeah. booted out of the, he, he may have got booted out of the council before he got booted out of heaven. You know, it's all progressive. I think he got Maybe. booted out of the council uh, in the the as part of the Genesis punishment. Uh huh. And it happened he a got, long time ago. He wants to get he wants to get that back. You see. Yeah, and then he got booted out of heaven in the first century <laughs> later. So he says, "I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High." Just Nimrod really believe he's going to do that? I don't think he's that dumb. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, really, it's mostly talking about um, Nimbus, but it's, it's well, no, that's not true, because before and after that, then it focuses on the man. Yeah. 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 So we're focusing on the passage where it, um, it makes out like he could be a celestial being, and that's what puzzles people, because they have to make an either-or choice. Yep. So it's an absolutely fascinating, but um, you'll see that... Um, there's no discussion of this theory, and Christians don't have a single proof text to prove that the, disprove the doctrine of a you know celestial self or a higher self or even a personal angel. They have nothing. Mm -hmm. They can't even use scripture to prove that every person has a guardian angel. They can't even uh, prove uh, if the guardian angel shows up, does he stay there or does he go back and forth? Don't even know that because it, it doesn't talk about that. You know, so mm -hmm. angels travel around. They don't just sit there and guard you all the time. That would be kind of boring, wouldn't it? <clears throat> I don't think God would put them through that. <laughs> they come and go, you know. <clears throat> well, I got to ask you now, uh, since you said you don't think Baal is uh, Azazel, I would ask you why is Baal mentioned in that pair then with Ash? Is Astra, I mean, Who's Ashtoreth then? Is that a is that Nimbus's uh, consort? Ashtoreth is a female deity. Um, that 
Well, you're talking yeah, about would that be, would that be Nimbus's dark goddess consort then, or what? Uh, I, it could be, but I don't think so. Um, this is very uh, difficult for Christians because they don't have female entities. So it's just like, uh, anyway, here's what we're going to say. Um, the gray goddess, I said on the last show that God's redemptive plan, uh, really the two most prominent entities are the Son of God and call her Azura or Persephone or the gray goddess, whatever you want to call her. Yeah. And then, first of all, it all began with her. If you knew that, yeah. But have but it's going to um uh, qualitatively he does the bigger things, she does the lesser lesser things, but she's going to um have a role in actually restoring light, bringing light uh, to the darkness. And that's that's why they put that's her, the Statue of Liberty. That's why they gave her a torch. Right. And it has to do with light. It has to do with light. She's a light bearer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they don't want you to know that. But actually, they don't want you to know anything about her. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that, that's a prophecy of her. And it also has to do with her lower self as well. In fact, technically, that's referring to Semiramis in her future role. She comes back as a great prophetess and the queen uh, to restore Israel. And they know that. So you have the simplistic thinking, well, they serve Satan and they hate God, so they're not going to put anything out there that has to do with the truth. No, that's not true at all. They put the truth right in front of you. Nobody can even compute it. They can't process it. They don't. They lose nothing. They don't even know what's going on. The people don't understand the language of symbolism, right? They, they don't get this stuff. Look at the common man. He doesn't do the esoteric, right? So there's no risk-taking there. So, yeah. Okay, well... So why would she be, why would she be paired why would she be paired with Baal then? Did she have a relationship with both Satans? Of course I want to say one more thing. She's gonna to come to America, that's what they're saying. This is pretty heavy. Okay. So the thing I want I'm glad you brought that up. What I want to say about her, this is complex. She has different consorts. Yeah. Which is a secret, uh, in my, I believe, of the um Freemasonic Triangle because it has to do with three way relationship. Between yeah. two million entities who are light and dark, yeah. and she's both of their consorts. Right. Uh, but she's not the primary consort of either one of them. This is where, this is right. fascinating. Who right. is her primary consort? Her primary consort is the seventh, his yeah. name is Serachiel. Yeah. You don't hear about him. <laughs> no. But she, they all have a heavenly twin. Um you know, male, female consort. They're not married, but they have a, a it's an eternal consort. It never changes. But in each creation cycle, people are fitted for different roles. Yep. And if you if you are a, a high lofty, if you have a high lofty role, um, you have more freedom. And uh, that's basically what that has to be. You have more privileges. You have more power. Um, and she, now, she represents something. In the ancient uh, Persephone myth, you know, the mystery school, she represented the all-soul. A way to understand that in Christianity, she's neither elect nor reprobate. Uh, She goes to both hell and heaven, and she represents every soul. Every soul. And if you knew that, if you knew that, Christians would, they would um, have more of, you know, you've got to have this concept, she represents me. 
And when you understand that, you can start identifying with it. The problem right now, they don't identify with her at all. They just can't. Right. The psyops go bad. They'll listen to the kind of tolerating, you know, well, Dave, you know, he's got some strange ideas. But um, her worshipers have loved her historically, and she's the most worshipped entity in world history. Don't fool yourself. Yeah, no, uh, no. Yeah. It's a pleasure that she can put you in a state of ecstasy, uh, do all kinds of things. Uh, she's a fertility goddess. She has to do with birthing, things like that. And this is why women have always identified with her. Well, look at how many women there are historically. You know, this is why yeah. the women are baking the cakes for the Queen of Heaven, but the men are not, you know. Yep, yep. They're actively glorifying her. They identify with her. And they yeah. would pray to her to have, um, to avoid complications with birth, you know. <clears throat> That's yeah. what they did back then, Yeah. <clears throat> well, they would set out a, an offering or something like that. Now, the reason that God does that, Christians don't understand there's a Queen of Heaven, <laughs> There's why it's actually did, because they knew a lot of things actually about the future and restoration. But um, what they don't understand, they're thinking either or. Um, the reason that they were rebuked by the prophet is they were worshiping her. Not supposed to worship her. You see the difference? Now, do Christians talk about that? No. They think it's either a demon or they were just deceived and there was no entity at all. It was just a pagan belief. Didn't have any basis for reality. You don't think they could worship her at one point? What's that? You don't think they could worship her at one point? Uh, There's been a lot of discussion about that. Um, We've been told that um, it has to do with devolution. In the antediluvian era, remember worship just means to um, bow down or um, prostrate yourself. Yeah. But there there was worship allowed or permitted of at least the inner family, possibly the 70, and it was gradually removed. Yeah. And um, we were told in the days of Moses, when they were out in the wilderness, uh, there was a small part of group of people that were around Moses that were still allowed to do it, and then after that it was cut off. You can see that yeah. later. If you don't think it's a change of worship, the people were sacrificing to God on the high places. Now, when no, you think about yeah. it, but actually, see, that's where, look at Abraham. That's what they were doing, but then later, when they started to um, relate, they became corrupted, and they started doing the sexual practice that had to do with the fertility rights, you see. Yeah, it became more debased. No more. You yeah. had to reform, and of course, once the temple was built, that wasn't as important, but still, I have to say, I don't really understand this passage where they, they try to make out like um, every male Jew was required to visit Jerusalem. Well, how the heck could you do that? Because you're going to leave your family? And make a super long journey? Uh, if, the, if the family went with you, you'd have a logistical problem. Every, nobody would be, you know, back on the farm, and everybody would be in Jerusalem. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, um, if they weren't going to Jerusalem, if they worshipped in an external form, they would still be doing this on the high places, despite the fact that there's a temple now, because uh, it's too far to journey to, because you're going to be doing it once a year. But um, there's... Um, there's evidence that that was all shut down because it all became yeah. corrupt. So yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So back to Baal and Asheroth. Did she have a relationship with both Satans? Uh, well, I don't believe it's two Satans. I, you can say adversary. I'm just trying to say he's not. 
Well, that's that's primary I, adversaries, I, yeah. There's more. There's more things, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, even there in Genesis six, uh, excuse me, uh, Revelation six and Revelation twenty, they're there together as a pair. Isn't that interesting? Now that's hinting. Who? Who is? Uh, well, death is Persephone because she brought death. And and Hades. yeah, well, I know that. I know that pair. I'm talking about Samael and her. They had a relationship too. Was yeah. they all in Ashtaroth? Okay, yeah, so she, has, she has. Well, she has at least three major consorts. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. In different. I know. I know about the two already. I just don't know about the. The Satan uh, I'm confused about. Excuse me. There's four of them. Okay. okay. <laughs> there's a synagogue figure. There's, um, remember yeah. now, who, who, she's going to be the queen of Israel in the future, okay? And who's going to be her consort? There you go. Because that sounds strange at first. You're going, what? Okay. Then you've got Azazel. Then you've got Nimbus. And then you always have Serachio, no matter what. Right. Right. But actually, um, Serachiel is the least important because she never really links up with him. Now, it can change from creation cycle to creation cycle. This is where the creation comes to an end. Everybody's fitted with a different role. See, in this creation cycle, I'm speaking to the audience, you know, um, yeah. even though she's the little one, the least among the seven, she's elevated by the father to a higher role, and it changes from each creation cycle in another creation cycle um, one of the, you know, the seven sisters who may be fourth in rank, they will be um, most prominent uh, for that period. They'll have a, a, a more advanced role. Now, the hierarchy never changes. Like, take an example, you have the 70. The hierarchy, the rank never changes, but you could be, well, we've got revelation on that right now. Um, the person that is, a, there's a, this is a little one. Uh, creation cycle because the little one in the 70 the male number 70 he's going to have an important role and so what these are they're little uh, dramas that god scripts and he likes to have variety and he's he's elevating the little ones in this particular creation cycle and cosmic drama whatever you want to call it so yeah the, the sigis or the pairs that has to do with the yeah. order of emanation which never changes but yeah, God, a, uh, he imposes the distinctions, you know, by way of positive law onto the the creation. So he actually no. imposes that, you know, himself. So you could have, you know, like like you were saying, somebody of a lesser technical, lesser on the on the hierarchy of emanation, be actually more important. More important. You know. and, yeah. and I like that too, because otherwise it would be uh, less interesting. Right, you know, right, you, yeah. you got to change up here. You can't just do the same thing over and over again. Now, I know this is difficult, but um, I, I need to say this. But uh, the Son of God, and we can run a check on this. He does not appear in every creation cycle. And when he yeah, does he was appear, in the, he wasn't in the Golden Age, was he? No, I, I've run checks oh. on that. Right. He uh, he was actually sent um, because there was a problem. A problem developed. Right, right, yeah. yeah. You can theorize that with Atman that he failed, but see, obviously, eventually he'll succeed. There's yeah. going to be a lot of drama on the way, a lot of ups and downs. 
And his, yeah. his incarnations are also punishments. He has to experience um, sin. Uh, yep. Anybody that thinks that God does not want uh, you to experience sin is completely out of their mind. Uh, everybody experiences sin. You're going to say this is not God's plan? That's crazy. But a lot of Christians would believe that. Oh, he would never want you to sin. Well, everybody's sinning, but God, okay, never my plan, you know. Come on. Think a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, We've talked about before the fall of Adam being predestined. It's um, They call it a fortunate fall in Calvinism because all these good things came out of it. But the primary good things is the fall of Adam illustrates the attributes of God, they would never have right. been illustrated without that fall. Right. In an experiential way, right. Yeah, an experiential way. He had an uh, intellectual understanding of God's attributes. Right. Right. He had never experienced God's forgiveness and no. maybe his patience to some degree, but uh, that kind of thing, yeah. It had to be illustrated in order for yep. God to properly be glorified. That's what this is all about. It's not about... It's all about... Um, uh, helping the creature. No. Know. no. The creature is going to have to suffer for God to be glorified. And see, his son, old son held to that principle. He suffered more than anyone to glorify the Father. And we yeah. all do this. And actually, God has ordered everything. that Whether people believe it or not, doesn't matter who you are. You know, Satan is glorifying God. That everything, doesn't matter whether you do good or evil, it's all going to glorify God. If you sin and God forgives you, then uh, that glorifies God because because he forgives you. you know I mean? Yeah. Or if you sin so, and he punishes you, that glorifies him because he punishes you. That demonstrates he, his, that he's just, his justice. He's ordered everything so that all human action glorifies God, but it doesn't in the short term, it, unless you have knowledge, it does it in the long term. These things will be revealed, obviously, at the, you know, the white great white throne judgment, so-called, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, that's why it says in Ecclesiastes that God has not, uh, you know, made clear what he's done from beginning to end. Right. Right. Uh, uh, he's told prophets things, but that there's some things that he's never told anybody because um, talking to these angels, uh, <laughs> the more I talk to them, the more I find out that they don't, they don't know everything. I mean, I thought yeah. that they knew things, and they said, we don't know. The Father hides it from us, too. I'm just going, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's true, then, you know, you're going to have that kind of thing going on. So. <clears throat> okay, so back to Baal and Ashroth. Uh-huh. How did she end up linked up with It's the same goddess. This is second. It's the same goddess as Astarte and Ishtar, and it has to do with the word star there. We got the word star from that term. Go ahead. Yeah, how did, she get, how did she get linked up with the Samael, the heavenly Satan? Okay. Um, this is very, very difficult. But uh, there's two versions of this. Um, I'll go with the simple version. Uh, she's not the underworld anymore. There you go. She yeah. was there for a time. She ruled as a queen. Uh, by the way, she's the queen of heaven. She's the queen of the underworld. Yeah. Uh, she's become the queen of hell, or she was the queen of hell. I'm not sure, but she will be the queen on earth. She fulfills all those roles. And if you could just comprehend that one thing, and go back to what I said earlier, 
how can she not have this lofty position uh, in God's redemptive plan? She's got to, God's the one that covered all this up, by the way, because I think he wants her to, she's like, kind of like the star of the show. It's kind of like our whole society. They focus on the females and female beauty on television. So historically, people have focused on her more than the male figure. They're just more attractive. She's very attractive. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it's the same kind of thing there. So, anyway. Okay, now what were you going to ask me there? Oh, well, she... Um, okay, she well, uh, I mean, that is, that's, your, your brief answer didn't really make sense because I'm talking about Baal and Ashtoreth. That would have been back in uh, Old Testament times. That would have been before she went up to heaven. Uh, this right? doesn't solve the problem either because she didn't uh, ascend into he uh, heaven until the first century. And that actually has to do with the Aphrodite myth where she's... Um, she came up through the waters, and she came up through the waters. They actually told us, and um, and then she ascended to heaven. And what they're doing there, they're showing her coming up from below, and she's on a yeah. seashell. Yeah, the foamy sea. Yeah, yeah, the great deep. Yeah. Okay. So at some point along there, she be along the way, he started to get darker, and they started communing more and more even though she was down there. Also, there's the possibility that she went up and down seasonally. I know it sounds strange. Well, yeah, but I, I knew about that, but so so she linked up with him when she went back up? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my view, yeah. Okay, so she was his consort when she went back up, and then she was Hades when she went back down? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, that explains it. I was just, yeah, I was wondering. Let me say something else, okay? Uh, this entity is just very real to the people. She's very real. Well, yeah. Uh, I do, everybody pretty much interacts with her, and I actually tell people um, she may interact with you. And uh, sometimes she'll do it on the very day. I've talked about this right on the show. But one time she told me, she goes, I go up and down, just like that. I started laughing, you know what I mean? But um, she's very changeable. She's the most changeable being. But she changes to these different historical epochs, but she also can change uh, quickly in a short period of time. Um, kind of like a different moods. And you can tell that she's, uh, ooh, what we got going on here, you know? And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, she's a very changeable being. Now, this Probably the this, fact that she goes from heaven to earth, to, or heaven to hell, too, that um, illustrates that, you know, her, her mutable nature. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know if she goes to hell in the future, but um, there's yeah, been no, a lot of I, about that. No. Yeah. That's a, that's a horrifying uh, thought, and I don't affirm that at all. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that she's already been in hell somehow and come out of it, I'm not going to affirm that either. So I would say she's the queen of heaven, earth, and... By hell, lower. I just meant, I meant the, the underworld, Hades. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a, a higher underworld and a lower underworld. Or you could just say the underworld, and then you say Hades. Distinguish that way. I, yeah, I know. I know. You know, you have an upper and a lower heaven uh, up there, too. You have, a, you have a heaven below the firmament. you got a heaven above it. Yeah, yeah. Some similarities there. 
the lower underworld then I guess I meant for more clarity. Remember it right. talks about remember it talks about the Rephium who are below the waters and Chris's yeah. composite. You know what they have to do? They have to spiritualize the text. And every time they don't understand a verse, they spiritualize it, don't they? Unless they take it out of context, you know. There's actually verses where it talks about monsters down there, too. We might be talking about the same verse because it's translated differently, but literally I think it means Rephaim, but it can be giants. Sometimes it says giants. It's in Job, right? Yeah, it's in Job. Job. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. It sure got a lot of interesting things in there. Yeah. yeah. Ever notice how Job is not being translated properly? It's like they're trying to conceal things. Either that or they're not understanding. Well, it can be text- because there's there's a lot of words in there that aren't used anywhere else. I mean, it's... and that's, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's another reason, yeah. Yeah. So they don't have any point of reference. No. Um, the, the word is used in Hebrew. It's just only used one time in the Bible, so... Yeah. Okay, so so yeah, so we believe that Azazel was Hades, and he was in the underworld. And he, so, really, the only the only place we really think that he was involved in the Adamic creation was like the the Enoch account. Then the Genesis six was that him trying to expand his reign or whatever on Earth. Uh, you want to run that by me again? I just texted somebody. I said, is that the only place we really see him involved in, in the Adamic creation? Is the, uh, well, aside from the Revelation passage, but is the Genesis 6, you know, Enoch account? Uh, who are we talking about here? Azazel. Hmm. I'm not sure how many times he appears in Scripture. He's not in the Bible very much. And that's why you would never know about him um, unless you have revelation. I don't believe that you can prove that Azazel exists with the Bible. Um, not absolutely prove it. And you can make a good case for it, but not slam the door shut. So I just not can because the proper, the proper name is used in the Leviticus verse. Okay. It's a proper uh, name there. It's being translated improperly as the scapegoat, but the Hebrew is a, is a proper name. So. In the ancient world, they the Persephone myth, this is what Christians need to hear, it's the most important myth in the history of the world. Everybody knew it. And that's why that was the most important um, you know, ceremony or whatever in the mystery schools, according to what we're told about them. Yeah. Had to do with Persephone. Yeah. And you have the Christian mindset, well, that has to do with paganism. They just turn around and walk away. They don't look for any anything in paganism. Right. I want to say also that the changeability of the female is reflected in the moon. The sun is constant. The moon is changeable. Uh, Women have watery nature. Fluid, yeah. I also want to throw out there that I rejected the view that the, I hate to do this, but the, um, now I can't prove it, but I don't think that the tides are influenced by the moon. Uh, They may be, but uh, it's not the moon alone. It's either the sun and the moon, or just the sun, or possibly other celestial objects too. But it's not just the moon. So I think it's a common. I think it's. I agree with you on that. I think it's a combination of things. Actually, actually lied to us about that. 
cover up something. I think it's the sun and the moon and the fact that the, the seas, there's a reason the seas only have tides and not lakes or ponds. Because the, sea, the, the seas are all connected to Mount Meru, which is the magnetic center. And that's why they have this uh, electromagnetic un- undulation in, in the form oh, of the tides. That's a good theory. I never thought about that. It'd be a, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a combo effect. Huh. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the reason I, I brought that up real quick is because um, her, her changeable nature is reflected, like I said before, in the... the in the, um, the, you know, they got primary seven stars in the Pleiades. You have what's called the Lost Sister. And uh, that reflects her nature historically, even to the point where when she is darker, that star goes darker. It's a sign of her state. And there's been times when it's not even visible. So, anyway, just want to point that out. <clears throat> you see... If she becomes the queen of Israel, is the consort of the king, then she's important by default. Uh, so what has the church done uh, to come up with any kind of an alternative interpretation that the uh, the queen in the gold of Ophir and, and uh, Psalm 45 could be something possibly other than the church? Have they done anything? No. Can they even consider that this queen could be a woman? No. A single commentary, nothing. I know, yeah. So what do they know? Yeah. Uh, They got punished. God took away their queen. That's that's what happened. uh, We also believe that he hid the mother after the the flood. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He protected her. And she went into the background, and Azura stepped into the foreground and basically usurped the mother. But I don't want people to think like it's evil. And she's not like an evil being, okay? She has a very complex, changeable nature. This is your queen coming. I, I, and I'm just telling you, speaking prophetically, uh, these things will come to pass. Yeah. So... She's going to be, what's going to happen is that um, there's a woman on net right now that on Earth. I believe she lives in America. She has to do with the Statue of Liberty. She used to be Semiramis. And she was, um, other women, she was two important saints in the Apocrypha, which should be in the canon. It was in the Septuagint. Uh, she was um, Susanna and she was uh, Judith. They're both uh, Jewish heroines. She has good incarnations, and she, you know, I mean, she was Noah's wife. Wow. Uh-huh. And um, we need to be open to these possibilities, you know. But if, if, if those things are true, then she's obviously massively important and uh, needs to be respected and uh, uh-huh. things like that. But first of all, you have to acknowledge her existence. And they're not quite willing to do that. I, I can understand that be, you know, uh, skeptical. But anyway, uh, this woman is going to be resurrected. And at that time, she'll be blended together with Persephone. And that will be your queen. Mm-hmm. And this heavenly son of God, he's going to rule on David's throne. They'll be blended together as well. And they'll kind right. of be like gods on earth. That's going to be, yeah. be leading Israel. That, that passage that I looked up there in Obadiah, it's the last verse, and it actually talks about these saviors 
It will go up on Mount Esau. It's Savior's Pearl. You can look it up. Does the church ever talk about this? You have more, according to Scripture, you have more than one Savior. Now, I know there's only one primary Savior, and nobody else actually ever saves humanity. But these are minor saviors, and these obviously are the same people, I would assume, in Micah 5 that I've talked about. Sure, yeah. You have the 7, and then you have an 8. Yeah. And they just ignore it. Uh-huh. More than one savior. Are we looking for more than one savior? According to the it says it in the Bible. No, we are not. So, uh it's not, you know, it's not, we talked about the 144,000, but, you know, the 70 are here. I don't know if they've all incarnated, but this is such an incredibly important period of history. That's why they're coming back. And I, I don't believe that people incarnate outside the 70. I have to see evidence for it, possibly. Um, now, you have a dark 70, too. And actually, there's 140 male and female, so that would be, um, you got to multiply that by two. So you're not just talking about 70 being incarnated as far as, uh, you know, the dark hierarchy and, uh, and the hierarchy of light. It's because they're so important, they, they come back at this time. So, and they will be on a higher level. The Christians are going to find out they're totally wrong about all this hierarchy thing. Because when they get on the exodus, guess what? Can we just do simple talk? Each one of the tribes will have a chieftain just like they used to. Do you think these uh, chieftains will be superior to the other people in the tribe? You better believe it. The patriarchs will be elevated. And there will also be certain women that will be elevated, um, just like Miriam was. And it says that God led Israel through, you know, Moses. Aaron and Miriam, yeah. Aaron and Miriam. Yeah. They'll get, there'll be a small number of them. Yeah. Get ready for that, because that will come back, too. Now, I believe that she was the, the incarnation of the daughter of God, and she was Moses' sister. Yeah, yeah. At other times, he was actually married to her. So I believe she was Sarah, and they were actually married at that time. <clears throat> That's yeah. why the uh, word um, Sarah means, or her original name means princess. Was it the first name or the second name? She got had name changed there, remember? Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, this heaven, so this heavenly Satan, yeah, so we believe that he, he's the one who spoke through the serpent in the garden. And, uh, so do you believe that he was cast out then in the first century of heaven? No, I don't think he was cast out in, are you talking about, uh, Nimbus? Yeah. I think that yeah, that was Nimbus that spoke through the serpent, and he uh, he wasn't cast out till the uh, the, uh, the first century. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I asked. Yeah, okay. When you look at Revelation twelve, you can divide it up into first century, and then the future, and it's very clear because the the first century stuff is all in the first part, and the latter part is all in the second part. It's really easy. So all you have to do is follow along though, along there. And uh, you can see that um, that would be in the first century section. You see? It's hard. You still there? Chris? Yeah, I'm here. I thought my phone was up. What were you saying? 
I said I got people texting me. I thought my phone did something weird. Oh. I'm getting all these little notices that 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 uh, that make noises. And I should turn that off when I. Uh, I got all these breaking news updates, you know. And I'm like, man, I got to turn this stuff on. It's too much. Of it. Yeah. yeah. Down these uh, breaking news apps, you know. They're kind of useful, but they make too much noise. Probably are hard on the battery, too. <clears throat> Anything else? I mean. Um... Well, I mean, so there's uh, there's Satan's in heaven right now. They just none of them are these are the two are the two primary ones. Others, other adversaries. Yeah, I mean, there's Satan's in heaven right now. You know, like uh, well, Azra okay. would be one, obviously, and Michael, okay. perhaps. And here we go. Um. <laughs> Well, I can't prove this with scripture either, but we've been told that there's going to be a future uprising. Right. There's several through history. There was one described in Daniel 8 that had to do with Antiochus 4. When Antiochus 4 was ruling, there was another eruption in heaven. And that's why, it, and here's the thing, let's go, let's, let's, let's talk about the upper and lower form. Are you familiar with this passage in Daniel 8 where you're talking about a man, but he causes these stars to fall from heaven, right? Yeah. Now, um, Bible commentaries will say that in the book of Revelation, when uh, John talks about the stars falling in the early part of Revelation, he's actually referring back to Daniel 8. He's not trying to say it happens at the same time, but he's, he's taking that concept, you see, but those are two different historical periods, and basically what I'm saying is that, well, I kind of misspoke earlier because we've been shown that uh, I think Revelation 1 through 3 is going to have a, a, a second fulfillment. So there'll be another heavenly war. Now, the reason I'm saying all this, and we believe it's going on right now, it's about the show, you're always going to have a leader, right? Mm-hmm. And this creates the concept of a new adversary and if he's significantly lesser. And I'm not going to talk about who he is because we've had backlash. This was, if you don't think this stuff is true, then they must be faking this out real quick because we've been attacked. And we can come on the show and talk about it. We actually did talk about it on the show. Actually talked about it. Yeah, because they didn't like that secret getting out. It's real. I think it's Michael. It's well, the being himself was angry. I'm guessing. I'm throwing my guess out. It's Michael. I'm not going to comment. Anyway. <laughs> Can't prove anything. I'm not saying it's Michael, by the way. No, I, I'm not trying to prove, prove it or anything. Without our different views. My views are changing all the time. <laughs> yeah, mine too. You have to, because you gradually... Um, the, the, the truth gradually unravels over time. Can we please understand that? You don't just plug in somewhere and get some kind of pipeline from God because we have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. First of all, that's assuming that you're applying yourself. You have to study. If you don't study, forget it. There's no pipeline out there in your head. You have to study. 
Now, how many people actually apply themselves? So right there, no. No, no, no. Um, they want to believe these things. So they don't have to study or make the effort or just – I don't think it's that so much. I think they want assurance that, you know, we've got to figure it out because do you really want to admit that there's significant things that you don't know about? Nobody wants to say that. Just like everyone wants to believe they're a good person, right? Yeah. This is the way people, this is the way people think. You know, they don't, they don't only think – they're surface thinkers, right? Surface thinkers. They don't, um, a surface thinker, the most fundamental thing that he should do – apart from thinking about God, is examining himself. And they've never, people go through their entire life, unless they have some kind of traumatic thing where they go, man, I really screwed up. I need to take a long look at myself, you know. They don't do this. They just don't do it. So They, they always look, they're trained to look outside themselves. That's, that's the psyop. Don't look at you or look at him, look at her. Oh, look at those people, man. Doesn't that, did you hear what she just said? Doesn't that bother you? You know, well, the reason it bothers you is because you have that same fault, and when you see that fault in other people, it gets you upset. But they don't know that because they don't know themselves. So mm-hmm. that's the way people are. Yeah, you, you, so you'll hear me use the word uh, angel of the Lord. Nothing will change. So I'll let you know that. Oh, also, do you have any uh, kind of explanation for why? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by what you just said? Hold on. Well, I will continue to, you know, use the word the angel of the Lord. It's not like I'm going to drop the definite article and go, angel of the Lord. No. You know what I mean? It doesn't even sound right. You know what I mean? Well, but do you have I mean, any explanation for why the term angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is not in the uh, Greek scriptures? What's your explanation? First of all, the explanation for that is that they believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, so Christ is here on earth, so that's why you don't see the angel of the Lord anymore. That, that, that's what they say. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yep. That, 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 it sounds kind of weak to me. You said that the angel of the Lord, that phrase, isn't in the Septuagint? It, no, the definite article is clearly never there. It's different in the Greek. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you can look that up. Well, yeah. I mean, we already we already went over the definite article thing, though. There's also some other yeah. terms. Um, yeah, you're trying to be systematic here, but um, progressive. Well, we all, there's also some other terms. I think you mentioned them, glossed over them, like uh, angels of Elohim, that kind of thing. You know. Even if it's just like his argument says, even if it that term lacks the definite article, it still doesn't invalidate these passages where the clear context would dictate that whatever this angel of the Lord is is conflated with Yahweh and not just a nominal sense. It's Mm -hmm. making them interchangeable in terms of their identity. So, I mean, it doesn't change the whole context of the verse. The context still remains the same. Uh, When you you have plural angels... Of Yahweh or God, I don't think this is true, but there's maybe a slim possibility. I mean, there is either is or there isn't that um, it could be referring to this, you know, group of Elohim that function in that role. Uh, probably not, but it's something I need to look into. Look at those passages. It's probably just talking about a plurality of lofty angels. You know what I mean? But. Um, I think that would probably be a stretch there. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I, I said, that's what I basically said, a stretch. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm thinking along these lines because we have this new little doctrine here that's more than one entity. So I'm thinking about these things. I haven't investigated yet. So. <clears throat> uh, yeah. I was just reading the other day that uh, some of the rabbis they believe that uh, Jacob was list was uh, wrestling with Esau's angel. Yeah, I've heard that before. So they're yeah. actually acknowledging that he has an angel. Yeah, yeah, I've read that before. Yeah. And uh-huh. we heard this before. They go, what kind of strange doctrine? Those rabbis do have some really strange doctrine, but they also have stuff that is similar to what we're talking about. Usually it's kind of a spin on it, but you don't hear about it in Christianity. They, and they have all these discussions in Judaism that do not take place in Christianity. Another thing, Chris, I want to illustrate the difference between, you know, there's different types of Judaism, okay? But just generally speaking, Let's just go with Orthodox Judaism. Even then, you have a lot of what I would call speculative theology. Conservative Christianity does not like speculative theology. That's what we're doing right here, speculative theology. And these are guys that are like free wheelers. And nobody's pointing the fingers, are you blasphemer? They accept the... Here's the thing, they, they tolerate a diversity of opinion in Judaism, and they do not in Christianity. And this is why we fight back and forth so much. They don't fight as much as we do. People need to hear all that. Christianity is a lot different than Judaism. They tolerate a contrary opinion, and we do not. We finger point, we label, we shun, and we divide. And this is our programming, and I think that they make us this way because who are we? Um, we're the believers, man. You know, we we have God's favor, so <clears throat> they focus on us. <coughs> yeah, I think in the you know since we're in the diaspora, we shouldn't you know we should be tolerant of contrary opinions to an extent. But I in agree. the future, when, in the future, when the truth is going to be revealed again, it's going to be totalitarian, just like it was. Oh. Uh, huh. It'll be like in Moses' day. Yeah, it's going to be, you're going to be of one mind and one agreement, and if not, if you're not, if you're contrary, then it, there's going to be no tolerance. <laughs> yeah. So, which is good, because if you have the truth, then you should be, you know, you should be of one mind about the truth. You shouldn't have diversity of opinion, because that means you have confusion. You know? Uh-huh. You shouldn't have people being allowed to speak falsehoods because that just wastes everyone's time. If if you have the truth, then that just, you know, creates all these problems. So why would you want that? You also you know have another. I mean? Uh huh. Yeah. You also have an interesting com, uh, concept that Nimbus was actually a tribal deity. Of because everybody had a tribal deity. The Christians don't think about that. Um. I don't think there were 70 nations. I think there were 70 tribes. I think there's seven, still 70 tribes today. They're spread out over all these nations. Yeah, I God, there's, there's fundamentally 70 tribes, and I think this has to do with the Adamic line, by the way. It's yeah. not outside the Adam. And, yeah. uh, but they're all there. And so each one of them had an Elohim, because you have a yeah. theory that were replaced by a dark Elohim. That's a theory. But let's just say that they, it's always been this way. And so each of the 70 uh, rules over these uh, tribes. And then uh, that 
then you have this new nation. See, Israel is not in the table of nations in Genesis 10. It came later, right? Now, you could say, and I wouldn't have a big problem with it, that it was represented already, but I think the better concept is it was something new that came to Abraham. So you have this concept of a 71st nation. Then I think the number 72 has to do with Eden, because I'm going to tell people right now, you're the not going to be... Uh, Deuteronomy 32.8, it says that uh, Israel was Yahweh's portion. So Israel was Yahweh's nation. I have to take a look at that. That's, that's, that's a good point. I'm not saying it counterdicts, but I need to look at that. Uh, uh, the number 71 anyway. would have to do with... I, mean, I guess, I don't know. We can't be Nimbus, because... I mean, Deuteronomy uh, thirty-two eight says right there that uh, Israel, uh, Yahweh's allotted portion was Israel. You can do different things. Number huh? seventy-one, because it can be more than one entity. It can be the daughter. It can be the, the number one. That, that number, if it theoretically had anything to do with him, it could be not just him, but also her in other contexts. Depends what you're going to do with it. But anyway, I want to say something people haven't heard. The whole thing with Israel is temporal. We're only going to be, as far as I know, we're only going to be in Israel until the end of this age, and then we're going to Eden. And Eden has, this is why I'm saying this, Eden has to do with number 72. Israel has to do with imperfection. Here's the other thing I want to say. I just want to lay the groundwork there. See, people don't have a concept of a tribal deity, but it's in the Bible. And so if you have a new nation emerging, it, you would expect a new deity over it. Now, the reason I say all this is because it's very curious that Israel, historically, you could hypothesize, because you're kind of scratching the head, your head looking at Israel, what is up with these guys? That they are a reflection of Nimbus's nature, their tribal deity. You know what I mean? This would no, explain why... I disagree. I disagree. I don't, okay. I mean... <laughs> well, that, I, I present this as a theory. I mean... Yeah. Why would I mean, you disagree with that? I think you're conflating, like, being and activity. I mean, just because... You could have Yahweh ruling over a nation, and Yahweh could be perfect. He doesn't have to be imperfect. That doesn't mean that the... Just because the nation's imperfect, that doesn't mean it has a imperfect oh, being no. ruling over it. No, 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 it doesn't have to either either way. Um, I'm just saying that that, 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 that um, I, but I don't think people realize how, uh, how dark the Israelites were. I mean, they were just a bunch of screw-ups century after century. And uh, the best way to illustrate it, I think, like I said before, is that they never had a national repentance. People would think that they did, but it's not found in Scripture anywhere. And uh, that's very curious, you know. So um, I think that um, he's not their tribal deity anymore, by the way. If he was, no. He got uh, removed from office. And well, I mean, so, where's the evidence that he ever was, though? Because it says in Deuteronomy 32.8 that Israel was Yahweh's allotted portion. That was before Israel was even established as a nation. Well, you're trying to focus on that. That could be a prophecy of the distant future. 
know, they, they will become or, or they were. But, but they I'm not come. making the, but I'm not, I don't have to read into the text anything else. You're, you're reading in this whole other theory and then you're reverse engineering the passages to fit that theory. I'm asking, so where's the evidence then for this other theory in the in the Bible that we can draw out? I'm not trying to say it's either or. Um, I mean, <laughs> it takes less assumptions to say what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Okay, I so what know. do you want I mean, what do you want me to prove? This is like I keep saying I can't prove this, can't prove that. I probably won't be able to, I can't, I don't think I can prove that either. I'm not asking you to prove it. I'm just saying why would we even need to assume, why even argue that if, I mean, if it, you can't establish it with, with anything. Okay, I wasn't know. arguing. I wasn't arguing that. I wasn't trying okay. to prove it. Yeah. All right. Okay. No. You like to argue. <laughs> well, I mean, is that wrong? No, not really. No. <clears throat> you like argumentation and debate. Yeah. Remind me of when I was um, harassing Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the way I used to be in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came to the conclusion that... Um, People in the Western world are programmed to not like argumentation debate. They only think of it as a negative thing. They don't think of an argument as anything positive. It's always negative. Yeah. And so when you, um, let's say if you refute somebody or point out an error, most of these people, including Chris's, are so incredibly immature, they don't like you anymore ever again. You ever notice uh, this? Yeah. And now yeah. we started going over here. If, if that's the level they're stuck at, I'm going to have to start focusing more on relationships and not about, you know, proving something wrong. I realized that a long time ago because I could just destroy these Jehovah's Witnesses. Why did every one of them? But um, so what? You know, I could back them in a corner, slap their face, but that doesn't win their soul. You've got to be, focus on the big picture, win the soul. You're talking to a JW, you're, you're, you're mainly sowing seeds that hopefully God will use later. I mean, how many Jehovah's get down to their knees and go, you're right, Jesus is the Lord, I understood everything, and I repent, and I want to be a Christian. What church do you go to? Does that ever happen? No. Um, they think about these things themselves. A lot of times they sit in these kingdom halls for years with doubts, but they don't profess them. By the way, Christians do this stuff, too. They won't come out and tell you what they believe. They, go, they don't believe everything the pastor says, but they won't vocalize it, you know what I mean? So you never really know unless you ask these people a point of questions, and the pastors don't do it like they should because they are supposed to be a shepherd of their soul. Well, if you're going to be a shepherd of the soul, you've got to know what they believe because they can have heretical beliefs. Well, they don't even talk about these things because they just don't get into your face because they're too politically correct. And actually, it just takes too much work because they should have elders and deacons to do this kind of thing. A pastor needs required to do too many things, so that's why he doesn't do it. It's, it's, just, it's just too much. Obviously, well, I mean, if you have like a mega church, they have like underlings and stuff like that. But uh, once you've got too many people, you can't visit them regularly. And so you actually don't know them that well or know what their beliefs are. Yet you're responsible for their soul. Well, this is why we're supposed to have house churches, you see. So you go right there. With elders, elders in the house churches. I mean, you could have okay, like. Okay, okay. Hold maybe, on. So maybe, I gotta... Five five elders, and then the church would be 
maybe 35 people or something, you know? <clears throat> All right, I got a question. All right. Okay, so, uh, well, so I'm thinking about why you were bringing up the whole uh, tribal deity Nimbus being Israel's tribal deity thing. So do you think that uh, the messenger of Yahweh that led the Israelites, do you think that was Nimbus then? I think he was time, but I, I'm not confident that he was, he was in the top two roles. I think he was probably sometime. Okay, so you think some of them, in some of the cases, it was. Yeah, well, you and I disagree on, okay. on the. But you and I disagree on the mysterious passage there, where um, it has to do with uh, Moses circumcising his son. Okay. Well, I mean that could that could be Nimbus. I'm not in opposition to that. Well, I think that was Nimbus, and that explains why he went out to kill Moses. Because I don't think he liked Moses after he got too dark. And yeah, but I think there was a reason for that, too, that God was trying to demonstrate, because uh, his son wasn't circumcised. The point was that he had to have his son circumcised because he was in this new covenant uh-huh. with Yahweh. I mean, that was the outward side of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So... Well, this is the high responsibility argument. You also say this is why Moses had such a high responsibility that this is why um, God ended his life and didn't allow him to go into the um, the land. And I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that. That may be <laughs> true in that instance, but not true here. Another theory is that Nimbus was involved with that, and it's the same old thing. He, you got this concept where... Christians think that an angel... like They're like... They, 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 they want to talk about, well... God doesn't make robots, but guess what, Chris? They act as if angels are God's robots. They don't act like they can have a second opinion or an independent opinion or act independently. If you do that, you sin, and those are the angels in Genesis 6, and nobody else ever does that. All through history, yeah, but I mean, if that was the case, if the emphasis was on the secondary causes, it would have said that in those passages, wouldn't it have? It says that Yahweh was the preeminent cause for why Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. doesn't say anything about a messenger of Yahweh. I just presented that as a possibility. I actually don't believe that myself. So. Well, I'm saying you, you could be right. Nimbus could have been involved, but well, let me Yahweh was still obviously controlling Nimbus, you know, to his own still, appointed end, that he didn't want Moses into the promised land. Okay, I still know. hold to the conservative theory that Moses had such a high degree of responsibility. First of all, he was told. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Obeyed God. Yeah. And so I don't believe that. Um, Nimbus could still be involved a little bit. I don't know how exactly that would work, but I don't believe that. But I, but, but but the um, going out to kill Moses. Um, first of all, it's too early to do that. And Chris, have you ever thought about this? There's not a backup Moses, so it makes no sense. I don't think you've thought about this before. You can't. Paul can't die until the appointed time because there's no backup. You see that? It makes no sense. Well, from a predestined, from a, well, sure it does. From a so, the perspective of a sovereign God, it makes sense because he knew he, he wasn't going to kill him. It's just like when he told Abraham to sacrifice his son. He knew I he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, the point was to, why did Yahweh use fear and violence all throughout the Old Testament to compel moral behavior? Well, it's because he's setting an example and trying to demonstrate something about us, not himself. Okay, you know? now you would agree with me that God works through evil men uh, to do evil. Would you agree with yeah. me on that? Well, yeah. he can do the same through a celestial being. 
Yeah. Now you have the model where you could have a celestial being that's under, either, he's a regent of God, but he's carrying out, he's doing evil things. Or now, now, Hold it, this is only talking about one thing. This is something that we would classify as evil, because there's what's called natural evil, right? There's not moral evil, it's natural evil. And God, um, you know, so go out and cause an earthquake. If that distinction is even, I, I don't even know, I don't even know if I believe that distinction, but for the sake of argument, yeah, go ahead. You talking about natural evil and moral evil? Yeah, because I mean, who created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, was that a natural evil or a moral? I mean, that was like both. So I mean, natural evil would be like an event. It could be, well, it could be like a famine. There can be supernatural famines, or there can be um, uh, famines that are uh, it's just a natural process. It'd be cyclical or something like that because of the weather, you know. No, I know. I've heard that people make the claim that there's a distinction there, but I don't know if that's based out of the Bible or not. I mean... Well, when you go to Isaiah 45 and it talks about, he, you know, he created the evil and the darkness, um, I don't think you can prove that. that. That refers to moral evil, even though I don't believe have a big problem with it. I just, you can't prove it. it talk about what kind of evil. So there's a possibility that it's referring only to natural evil, um, I'm not saying it is. But I've it, actually read a, a book refuting that, and that the, the Hebrew word there is like it's the same word in other verses where it's t- talking about moral evil. So I mean, I, well, I believe it probably is moral evil because I think God created everything: moral evil, good, good, moral good, everything. You know, He's totally Chris, sovereign, created everything. Chris, this is how simple it is. You have a vessel of light, right? Yeah. And then uh, light is extracted from the vessel. Now, what's going to happen by necessity? What's going to happen when you do that? Evil will follow. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to figure out. No. Chris is just to just because just because he created moral evil that doesn't make him evil because an author could write a book about a murderer who murders people that doesn't mean the author is a murderer. Yeah, I mean, uh, Christians assume that God is acting directly upon the will. He acts typically through a mediated um, hierarchy, and um, he acts from a distance. Yeah. Although not necessarily al- always, because you can see right there in that divine council scene, what is it, Second Kings 22? He was given a direct order to go do something evil. Yeah, and there's that, was a moral, that was a moral evil, too. Yeah. Yeah, the passage... Well, we're talking about creation here originally, but uh, there's a passage, um, a kind of a parallel passage with that. It's kind of obscure in Ezekiel where it talks about, I will, basically he's going to create a false prophet. He's going to put lies in the mouth of the false prophet. It's actually a curse on the prophet. Are you familiar yeah. with that passage? Yeah. 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 And that's not compatible with what Christians believe today. That would be, they would say, that's what Satan does. Well, go look at the verse. <laughs> Yeah, no. You know, yeah. it says there, I put a lying spirit in the mouth of, uh, what is it, the mouth of the prophet? Is that what it says? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it says yeah. something similar to Ezekiel, so. Go look up the word prophet if people want to look that up, you know, <clears throat> Ezekiel. You know, like an e-sword or strong concordance or something. Well, I mean, just read the book of Job, uh... God literally acknowledged in the beginning of that that Job was blameless. He actually uh, concedes with Satan. Mm-hmm. And yet he proceeds to destroy his whole life anyway. <laughs> yeah, God 
was that he determined to? Just because he wanted to, because God can, because he's the ultimate authority, and, I mean, uh-huh. he can do whatever he wants. God was the determinative and efficacious and responsible cause for everything that happened to Job. He proved yeah. it all. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not compatible with Christianity either today. It, it, Calvinism it is, but the rest of them, oh, no. They, they just don't want to think. They want to stick in no. an emotional realm. With the, their good God, I've got my good God. Are you talking my good God? Oh, they want an effeminate God that they can, yeah, I mean. He's a good God. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very uh, firm on this. I just want you to know this, that the Son of God, you know, he's eternally preexistent, but he didn't acquire a celestial body until after the Golden Age. And that's yeah, why it's called agree. the beginning. But the Bible does just not focus on that era. It starts with um, the Son of God and Adam and all that stuff. That's where it starts. That's why it's called the beginning. You see? Yeah, the Adamic creation, yeah. That's the beginning that God wants you to pay attention to. Right. It, the Bible right. does not encourage speculation about a pre-Adamic era, but don't get me wrong. You better believe that they had, look, at, they knew about the Persephone myth. They knew about this stuff. Yeah. When God gave the text, the focus was on what he calls the beginning and Adam and Adam's progeny and all that kind of stuff. So. Right. Right. They didn't have knowledge about that before. They had, oh, sure, they did. They had all the tri- Look, at when they had um, every, the most principal myth was about Persephone, obviously they knew about what happened a long time ago. Yeah. And they had a pretty good, uh, I- you know, indication uh, about, you know, the timeline. It happened before that. I think the Hebrews knew that as well. Look, at they had people like Moses teaching them. Where was he in Egypt? He was in these mystery schools. Obviously, he knew all this. Do you think he didn't tell somebody? See, it's not just I talk about this oral tradition from Adam. There's oral tradition from Enoch. And there's oral tradition from Moses. Where did all that information go? Right. right. All uh-huh. Then they lied to us and they said, oh, that was in the oral Torah. They want you to believe that, oh, none of it was written down. Of course it was written down, and it's all gone. They don't want you to know that they stole it all. Just like they yeah. stole all the apostolic letters. Uh-huh. You get 13 letters of Paul. What about all the other letters he was writing? Mm. We don't, don't talk about that. You're complicating things. You know what I mean? We'll give you the wall of silence. Don't think about that. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. Christians are really good followers. You ever notice that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Follow and uh, do as you're told. Uh, somebody was just telling me to, today that their pastor, uh, someone will go up to the altar, then he requires the entire congregation to, like, I think, point at them and start praying. That, that's, that's um, I don't want to say it's abusive, but that's not right. You, well, you demand that everyone do this. You know, turn to the right, stomp your feet, jump up and down. That sounds like a cult to me, you know. But they go along with this because um, the pastors are overly elevated and respected. They don't yeah. actually, most of them, they don't deserve all that. No, no. But logically, a lot of them are neophytes. They're not experts at all. They're very confused. Nobody ever questions them. That's the thing, see. They don't question the pastor. What is that? That sounds like a cult to me. Mm-hmm. All right, well. I think that's about all I had. Okay.
Unless you had anything yeah, everyone, else. Everyone is a vessel of light. Uh, another uh, deity uh, in paganism that would be identified with Nimbus would be Prometheus. You'd agree with me on that, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Repeat that. Sorry, I was distracted. Another deity besides Apollo that would be identified with Nimbus. See, he's in pagan mythology would be Prometheus. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Or maybe you think Prometheus is Azazel or something. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, probably. I think the way they portray him, like visibly, uh, I don't know if it's front of the Rockefeller Institute or something like that, that it, it, this is their, their devil that they worship. You know what I mean? Uh, but I don't think it's Azazel. It's Nimbus. Apollo. Okay. So anyway, all right. All right. I think we'll uh, end it here then. Thanks for coming on then, uh, Dave. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll talk to you later then, all right? Okay, take care. All right, you too. All right, bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.